Playoffs are in full swing, and we're jumping off the bat this week on the Indie Ball Report podcast. All right, we are back again. Episode number 235 of the Indie Ball Report podcast. I'm Nick. Ryan's here. And I'm realizing now when I wrote down the episode number in my notes, I wrote down 135, which is considerably different than 235. The math checks out. Yeah, man. Pretty wild. Sorry, I was just distracted. That Kona Quigley home run just landed in my backyard. Yeah, that was a pretty wild home run to end off game one. It's been a good lord. What a way to get it going in the frontier. Really though. Like Evansville's been on one lately. Yeah, like keeping it dramatic, keeping it exciting. I'm, I yeah, I mean uh, I don't even know what to make of it. It was like it was I was so focused on racing the weather with the Jersey game and watching that and I flip over and it's just mid chaos and Evansville I mean, Evansville did everything they could to lose this. And if, if since you're you know, if you're listening to this, we're talking game one of Evansville and uh, Gateway tonight. And uh, Evansville walked it off with just a massive shot off Kona Quigley's bat. Um, yeah, but Evansville, man, they, I mean, massive mistake base running, which would have been, it was what, the eighth inning, nobody out. Yeah, I and, think, uh, well, there's two the, mistakes with that, to be quite honest with you. But yeah. Yeah. What was the other one? I'm sorry, maybe I missed the, it. I might have been on the other game. The first one was really Rosario going down to second on the steal, but they got away with it, you know. Right, yes. Yeah, and then there was there was actually the next pitch where Myers gets the base hit. They try to score Rosario from second. He's gunned by a mile, mm-hmm. and there was that. And then there was the second caught stealing where Meyer tried to advance to second on a steal, and he was gunned out by a mile. So a series yeah, of poor base nice. running. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, that was just bad situational awareness. I felt like all around there, like yeah. knowing the situation. I mean, there was nobody out on that play at the plate, and he was out by fifteen feet. Oh, I would say. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. I, I will say there wasn't a great tag that got put down, but even with a bad tag, he was still out by like a solid three, four feet. <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, the catcher was waiting for him. It was yeah. one of those. Yeah. Hell, I mean, it was to the point where I half expect him to get into a rundown and like try to force a throw or something. I mean, it was, he was yeah. that far out. Still. Which honestly, uh, the rundown would have, if he was able to do that would have been better. He probably could have gotten Myers the second during the rundown. No. Yeah. You might honestly. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was, I could not believe, I mean, it, it took so long that the ball followed the catcher I'm sorry, the ball reached the catcher, the camera followed the ball, so it was looking at the catcher. And, like, the only reason I knew somebody was running home was because the broadcaster was saying it. Like, that's how far out he was. I mean, it's bizarre. But anyway, yeah. it worked out. They got away with one. That's, you know, that's how you get it done in the playoffs is not letting your mistakes burn you and cooking up everyone else's mistakes, which they definitely did. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's going to be an ongoing thing when we get into the actual playoff discussion this week where it's just one bad inning cost – what you say, three or four teams, realistically, a game, or in, I guess, the case of Sussex, a series. But that's also running that bus all that was Tavares. I mean, we Fair. saw it in person. That thing, that was a, that was crazy. It and was a clinic. They, it felt like Sussex was flat, right? Yeah. But, but as I thought about it more, I think it was a little hard on them, you know, watching the game, but 
I mean, maybe it's just credit to Tavares. Like he, and sorry for the quick change of uh, what we're talking about here, but it, that game, I mean, we saw him, he struck out the first six batters he faced. I think he struck out eight in the first three innings. And he went about it. Like, I mean, guys were working counts, but all it was, like, they went up there like, all right, like, I'm not going to just swing away. And then all of a sudden they were down 0-2. And, you know, then they were behind on, so they had to start swinging the bat. And then that's where at bat start to feel lazy when, you know, that's where it starts to get that, you know, are we phoning it in type of feel when, you know, you've struck out, I think, 10 times for the first four innings or five innings. And you're like, okay, this isn't working. You got to get back to the ball. So you just start throwing the bat out there trying to at least get the ball in play. And Jersey's defense looks really good, which is not always the case for them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm just in my head. I'm like, maybe <laughs> I can't. I, I part of me is critical of them. Like, wow, they really came out flat in that you know single elimination playoff game. The other part of me is like, what else could they have done? <laughs> like, fair. It's just they got beat. Yeah, I mean, like we'll go into more detail on in a bit, but yeah, I mean, I also kind of gotta say, even though Tavares did go the distance on it, I still gotta have more than four base runners in one game when it's a wild card winner take all game. You can't have four, no matter how good a pitcher Agreed. is. You you need to do something. Especially, yeah, like you said, like he struck out, what, the side for the first two innings? Or was it the first three? Yeah, yeah first two, okay. So he's throwing pitches. I mean, he allowed a base runner, too, I think, in there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. I mean, he that's another one with Tavares. He does a great job. He throws strikes, man. And that's, yeah. that's a big thing. I mean, I can tell you that <laughs> firsthand. If you if anybody out there is looking to make a deal with P.J. Phillips, if you have a guy with a low walk rate, he'll probably take him. <laughs> because that's the first question anytime I send him a guy is like, what's the walk rate? Which, uh, and, uh, yep. that, <laughs> that play at the plate that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. I, so I was doing a deep dive over here or chat and I was first off frontier league. I'm begging you. I'm begging you to start tracking what positions guys are playing. That's all you need. You have all the feeling stats right on the site. I just need to know where they're playing. Um, yeah. anyway, but based on my math, so I was like, it's Harris Richards. Like I haven't, his arm hasn't stood out in my mind. Like his yeah. arm that, good first of all yeah his feeling is good and he has got the i think he's tied for the sixth most uh alkalosis in the league um and which by the way you gotta know that before you send my guy uh but additionally do you know who number one in alkalosis is i do not be the very man who ended tonight's game kona quiggle really yes sir that is interesting which also with Jerry is too. You know he's fast, so he's gonna close on a ball quicker. Yeah, right. Like, so, uh, see, Quiggle's been playing some first base though. I'm not gonna give yeah. Quiggle that credit, by the way. I'm yeah. not giving him that. So I, I would bump that whole thing up to he's got like the fifth most outfield assist now. So good for him. Yeah. But so again, that's why I need the frontier league to help me out a little bit. Yeah. Either way, he's a top ten fielder in the league with what sixteen teams. <laughs> so, yeah, I think so. Yeah. So like. Uh, gotta be aware you're in a playoff series yeah there's 50 start essentially there's 50 starting outfielders this dude's in the top 10 percent of them so yeah you maybe you don't run on them that's just a decision maybe head on a swivel out there huh exactly nobody out come on now and that's the thing like this is like honestly it's not on rosario because he's just looking at his third base coach and if his third base coach is sending him he's running that's exactly it because I don't think we have an angle, and maybe someone that was there can say, but I have to imagine third base coach was sending him. It's one thing if he runs through a sign. If he runs through the stop sign, I mean, then that's entirely on him, but I can't imagine he would have done that. 
Um, I mean, that would be. Yeah, I don't think he did. Yeah, I, I don't know. I didn't get a good. There wasn't a yeah. replay shown of it. Thanks, Flow Sports. Um, I know they don't run the broadcast, but still, thirty bucks a month. Anyway, yeah, maybe I shouldn't assume, but yeah, I mean, he was just feeling himself, and he got over the second in a sketchy manner. Yeah, but then you got to think though, as a player too. Like, okay, this is a fifty-fifty ball. We kind of got away with one here because immediately that second baseman was like, "I got him. I got him. I know he did." And Brooks shot out of that dugout. So like. True. I, I you gotta be like okay if there's another 50 50 we're not getting it even if it's like a 60 40 we're not getting it it's got to be pretty clear cut for us to get this one so like you're like yeah i think i can run on him i could beat him and like there's one thing in having confidence and there's there's another thing in just being stupid yeah yeah i think we're pretty much straddling on that line huh yeah but um rounding out the conversation about the throw looks like most outfield assists belong to G.J. Hill. 21 looks like assists, and the next closest, it's not 21, I think it was 13, so he's got a pretty good gap out there. Yeah, he's got a, he's padded his cushion, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if a couple of random ones, like all takes one day playing infield to like ruin that, and of course it's hard to tell on yeah. Frontier League, but interesting. Also, second behind him is Justin Gideon, who, if you want a weird indie ball career, Justin Gideon's your guy. Yeah. Uh, Canadian popped up on the Melbourne Aces. That is like his lone professional experience, as far as I can tell. And now he's just like getting after it in Quebec right now for a really good team. That honestly makes a lot of sense for some reason. But Vibe. Yeah. He seems like a Scalabrini find. He does, which final mm-hmm. point on this. So Jerry's Richards, obviously, first stolen base is 75. Second, Rosario with 51. Hmm. How about that? Yeah. Obviously, mm-hmm. large gap there, but... Yep, but still, man, it's a lot of, a lot of bags. Yeah. Arguably two of the fastest in the league, so, like, I kind of understand, like, why you're like, yeah, we can... Gambling on it. Yeah, and, and look, like, uh, we're harping on this too much for uh, something that didn't actually affect the game, like, I mean, yeah. know, in the end, but... Especially because we're going to uh, talk about this game see, in an hour. You're going that aggressive, and, like you get to second, like in your head, you're like, if this ball's on the ground, the outfield, like I'm getting there. Like I'm tying this game up. Like I I could see that decision almost being made already. Like I get that, but it's also like still got a nose out there, man. And that was, that was not a deep ball obviously too. So anyway, we'll move on. We've beat this to death a little bit. Final point. Third base coach got to hold him there. Don't make the out at home. Don't run yourself out of an inning. Yeah, man. When you second angle on that one, see what happens. Yeah. Uh, any case, just mm-hmm. to circle back to one thing we started with when I said I wrote down 135, I looked up just out of strict curiosity, what was episode 135? And here are the people on that episode, by the way, because we had a guest <laughs> that week. It was me, Will, and then the other guy that's currently on this show. Hey, squad. Yeah. Is that my first time on? It very well could be. It was October 9th. It came out 2021. And the description is, the guys welcome Ryan, ALPB Roundup, onto the show to talk about the Atlantic League and the final playoff push. Likewise, yep, definitely my first one. I had so many notes. I was not sure what I was getting into. Yeah, so you thought this was a lot more serious than it was. Uh, we also talked I about the I won't even show up sober at this point. Yeah, I mean, if you do, I quite frankly don't even know what to do. Like, you're coherent. <laughs> you got good points. I was like, well, shit, I wasn't ready for that. Terrible. <laughs> we did. We can never have this guy back. Exactly. He's making me look bad. This is a problem. Yeah. So naturally, the most organic segue would be immediately talking about Gastonia.
Yeah, fair. Okay. Yeah, they're on their U.S. rule BS. We'll be quick about the news because there's actual baseball to talk about. I think people would rather hear about actual baseball talk than any other news that, quite frankly, three weeks from now we're going to really get into. So, uh, Okay, I can vibe with that. Yeah, so we'll be quick about uh, Gastonia. Supposedly they're missing staff payments again. And uh, mm-hmm. apparently they had some issue with staff not showing up, presumably because they weren't paid over the weekend. Uh, some PA announcements not being made. So yeah, this is your story. Uh, the so highlights kind of include, yeah. yeah, well, I mean, the highlights include, I've heard, and it's been tough because I'm hearing a lot of different things, and it's becoming obvious that, like, they're just handling whatever is a bigger fire at the same, like, at any given time. Yeah. Just surviving day to day, like, not surviving as in, like, just the business running it by, like, surviving, just trying not to get called out on their BS. Yeah. Um, they're doing cover like, up work. Some of the, well, yeah, some of the f- f- uh, full time staff I talk to, they're like, no, like, I got my paycheck on time. Some of them that I talk to are like, I am seven days late on a paycheck. Um, others are like, uh, yeah, they're late by a couple of days. And also like the police recently didn't get paid again. Um, meanwhile, the PA thing, the weird PA announcement thing was a weird, it was a weird day. Something was up that day because like the gates weren't unlocked normally. Like everything was very late. Like, right before the game, it was almost like they were like, all right, let's host a game today. Like it was just a very, much a mess and then in the beginning of the game there were less announcements and ad reads than usual okay. so like everyone was kind of like what is happening but then they kind of picked it up as the game went on it got back sort of the normal routine so immediately all those things coming together in the same day like flagged like yo something might be up first of the month everyone's wondering if something's up the website that's right that, that was wasn't renewed yeah. to start the month um yeah it, it was just a disaster of things at one time but the the ads did come back through eventually um yeah, it's just sketchy. And then there's uh, today, and I, I don't have the update on it yet, but I'm, I'm sure I'll watch a very boring local government live stream of uh, a discussion on a proposal to basically uh, repurpose the land around, like rezone the land around the ballpark, which is stuff owned by Fuse and Brandon Bellamy uh, I, for residential usage. So I guess doing some sort of condos. And, yeah. I mean, I've talked about it before. I don't know. Uh, one, I think it's going to be interesting with the mess that there is, um, because there are certainly people who would need to sign off on that who are not happy with Brandon Bellamy, the owner of the team. Uh, on the other side, I am, I'm fairly comfortable saying at this point that he has a relationship with the mayor in some form, uh, that predates him owning this team in Gastonia. So they were friends beforehand, it seems. Um, so there is that weight pushing in favor of him getting this, you know, zoning change done. Um, but my biggest thing on the baseball side, how this actually relates back to baseball is from the own potential owners I have spoken with who would be interested in a team like Gastonia, the holdup for them when it came to making a good substantial bid for the team was, um, or an offer for the team was the fact that the land would not come with it because Brandon Bellamy wanted to keep it. And the way that stadium is set up, the ballpark is set up, it really limits your options and your resource, like, your potential um, income sources to not have the land around it because it limits the way you can do the parking. Um, it, you are basically held to just what you can host in the ballpark, which is a smaller ballpark. Um, yeah, by design, by the way. Yep. Yes, exactly. So it's just, uh, it's definitely going to be a holdup if it comes now to try and sell the team while he's also still trying to hang on to the land. So that was the big thing that sort of caught me. 
So the first immediate thought I had, particularly just to backtrack to the ad repoint and just the day being off, it very much, and of course this is going to be more speculation because I don't know anything about it, but it almost feels like the essential game day staff either weren't paid or were being paid late or something happened with them and there was almost like an agreement amongst them to say, all right, for the first three innings of this game, we're going to drag our feet on it. We're not going to do things, you know, as we usually do to make a point. You know, it almost mm-hmm. like the, rev- I hate to say it, like the reverse boycott because those situations are completely different, but something along those lines where it's more like, okay, we're making a point here. Pay attention to it. And it wasn't until the point got made that then whomever would be to have the kind of authority to say, all right, we'll address what you're saying or we'll prioritize your pay or whatever it may be. Now, of course, you know, you do this on what? It was the first or the second? First, because we recorded yeah, earlier that day. Like that. Yeah. yeah, it was the first, because I remember we recorded at like noon. The one time we record early, all this stuff happens. Life. But really. Um, yeah, so like you do that on the first when your season ends on the 17th. It's like, okay, well, maybe not as much authority when you have like one, maybe two paychecks coming through. So, mm-hmm. you know, not really holding the same kind of weight, but whatever. So it kind of felt like some sort of organized protest to me. Now, maybe I'm off base there, but it does kind of feel that way. Um, That said, bringing it back to the point uh, as far as ownership goes, it makes a lot of sense there. I mean, it almost feels like to me where the ballpark strategy was go for the ballpark to get the land and then like 10, 15 years, we'll redevelop the ballpark itself into something else. It almost feels like that was kind of like the plan from the get-go to me, by the way everything's going. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it does seem like the buildings that they're talking about do show up in the, exa- the like original mock-ups for the ballpark area, so that's not a, a surprise. I think the surprise would be that, oh, you're still going for it. Okay, which, you know, part of you is like, well, obviously, you know, mm. it's the only thing that has potential to work, apparently, over there. Yeah. Um, but the other side is like, there is a popular thought that he was trying to get out and it's very odd that Bellamy, no, it's not odd, it's just telling, I guess, yeah. where this thing is going. Uh, my main concern is I think at this point it's a better than 50, 50 shot that unfortunately we see Gastonia playing something like summer ball within the next year or two. I think if they're in the Atlantic league next year, it's because the Atlantic league needs them to balance the schedule. And that's it. I mean, it would make sense. And, I mean, they're paying for their yeah. players right now. Like, there's no way the Atlantic League is excited to have him back, like this current ownership. Yeah, it's, and with the negative press it brings, it's not like that's a big drama. We know uh, we're going to get into some other Atlantic League uh, team rostering issues. It does make a lot of sense. That market worked in the past. We've discussed off-air why that market worked in the past for, you know, summer college ball that has more to do with ownership. But it does make a lot of sense for them to switch somewhere else and like we've discussed before and you make the great point always what other, what other league are they going to go to it's pretty much atlantic league or non-professional those are the options yeah. so in that kind of scenario yeah they have to drop down and it's a shame too because as far as the baseball side of things goes just on the field and roster construction it's a good team like they're doing really well and especially yeah. when you have a lot of all these off the field issues going on, you know, it, it makes it even more impressive 
what the players are able to do. And obviously now that they are actually getting a consistent paycheck, that's got to be a nice weight off of you that you don't have to worry about anymore. But even regardless of that, it's still a lot of noise going around. So you applaud the players and the staff for dealing with it. But to lose or to have those people responsible for building and constructing that team on the field, have them lose their job is unfortunate. But that being said, mm-hmm. I think the body of work speaks well enough to where if they want to hold a similar position, there's going to be teams that are going to be calling. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think probably teams already are if we're talking about the same people. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah, it's just... I don't know. It's a weird one too, where I'm like, at this point, I dislike the ownership group so much that I'm like, fail. I I hate you, fail. But I'm also like, that does not help one, the sport, or two, the market and the people who live in that community. So it's like, I don't know. I have a lot of feelings about it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not even sure if I'm sort of almost sitting back, especially considering how much I've done on the topic. It's just because I've. I'm so deep on the topic now that I don't even know how to feel necessarily. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair. I mean, this was a market that had potential to work, especially with everything that's, you know, been done. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of it's been horribly mismanaged at this point. So wanting to get the people that are the chief responsible for mismanagement out is, you know, a natural reaction, honestly, the right one to have. And the obvious counterpoint, though, is if it fails in a certain way, it's going to deter anybody else from trying it and it's going to cost, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of people their job, their position. But at the same point in time, if they're not even being paid consistently, I don't really think they're that upset if they lose it because at least then they're going to have closure and close the book on it and move on to something else. Cause I mean, how many people are going to want to continue there next year and the years going forward under this current ownership group, right? Like, if you yeah. if you know these kinds of problems exist, it's really hard to say, yeah, I'm going to be dealing with that again. That's a good decision there. Like it's it's not a positive one, and we've seen how many other times throughout even the recent past in indie ball, teams just being locked out mid year. Obviously, it's a different situation. He owns his ballpark; he ain't getting locked out. But would it be that shocking if one day you just show up to the ballpark? And everything's gone. There's just not no, enough money. Not to run. Yeah. So, like, if that's a realistic concern, if you have any desire in building a career, you don't really want to have that as your foundation. And honestly, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. And I'm thinking for all the work that, especially as of recent, has gone in to building the image of independent ball and trying to erase the the stereotype and the common conception of just being some side league that's a step above, you know, YMCA ball, and turn around and have this, it's like, well, you're really undoing a lot of the progress. So the sooner we can get this matter sorted one way or the other, you know, at this point, whatever the outcome is, the outcome is. I'm cool with it. Yeah. Part of, as somebody who is like personally invested in indie ball as a fan, as somebody who, you know, does indie ball nation, as somebody who would love to be working in indie ball again and sometime potentially in the near future, I not only am somebody who, like, I'm the type of person who will watch an MLB game. And if I don't have, like, if the Phillies aren't playing, like, I'm rooting for, like, what is best for baseball typically. I'm rooting mm-hmm. for the team where, like, it's better for the game if they win. 
I, I feel very much that way about indie ball, and it's that is why it's so frustrating to me whenever it's bad ownership. And and like I have been called out before for like jumping, like really jumping on messy decisions. Like we got you and I both got a ton of blowback for the Southern Maryland thing last year when they set yeah. the field on fire. And I say I said over and over again because people are like, yes, but it has like literally saying the field on fire when it's too wet has actually worked. And my response was always, that's cool. It's a bad look. Mm-hmm. And in, you know, I, I preach all the time and this is getting so far away from baseball considering it's a playoff week that we should steer back soon. Yeah. But to land the plane a little bit here, I, I, I practically preach it like indie ball teams need to understand where they are. And so do the leagues in a positive light of the opportunity that comes with that, the freedom to, you know, get creative on things. You don't have to answer to really anybody. Like as long as you can play within some rules, you're good to go. Um, the opportunity to like embrace playing to win, not just playing to develop all that stuff. But on the other side, you need to understand the general feeling a lot of baseball people have. First of all, non-baseball people are, are not going to understand what any ball is. Yeah. So, you better make a good impression on them any opportunity you can. Baseball people are already very much coming in with the, the mentality of, oh, this is sort of amateurish ball. This is, you know, the way Trenton, I would say, feels about them, yeah. uh, about indie ball. So by doing things that um, sort of back that idea up, you're hurting everybody. Because now, if, say I'm a, say I'm, me, yeah, hell, say I'm me living in Gastonia right now without my pre-existing relationship yeah. to uh, indie ball. You know, there was a summer ball team that did well there. Then an indie ball team comes in, and it's a garbage fire. They can't run it. They can't make money. There's People aren't getting paid. It's a disaster, and they're probably going to disappear like on everybody, broken promises, whatever. Um, and when, you know, you might have heard that, like, that has been a thing that has plagued indie ball at times. When now say that I you know I'm a baseball fan, I'm a baseball guy. I go to some, maybe I move somewhere a few years later. Either I'm there's an, a local indie ball team that I'm like, eh, like that's amateur. I don't need to be involved. Or even like say if you're somebody who's involved in like local government, and now you might go somewhere else. You move on through life, but when it comes down to it, maybe an indie ball league wants to put a team in your market 20 years from now. And your experience is what you just had with this organization who was a mess and you represent everyone poorly and left a bad taste. And that's the story you're going to tell. It's like, I don't know, it could have changed, but it was a disaster when I was there. They're unprofessional. Like, it, there's a very limited window to make an impression when you are in unaffiliated sports. And just like the players seem to be able to capitalize on the opportunities when they give them, like, teams and organizations and leagues do as well. It's just so frustrating to see this kind of thing. And it even extends out to these teams that can't get their damn lease right. It extends to the Jackals who are don't even have a home field in the playoff right now. That extends to whatever the hell's going on with Sioux City right now. Like, all those teams that are having these kind of issues. Like, I understand some things are out of your control, but like it, you need to go about things with the understanding that when it's this niche of a group, the things you do represent everybody. Yeah, it's interconnected. It goes back to the stereotype point, which all the uh, teams you mentioned, they're all playoff teams. 
They're all right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. As far as product on the field goes, that it's, it's some of the best, man. Exactly. And it's like high quality players. And like we'll talk about awards in just a second. That's the next thing up here. And one of the things I kept seeing from everyone online was that's a surprising decision for their third baseman postseason all-star. And one of the ones everyone kept saying was, where's Matt Lloyd for Sioux City? And that's an example of a really good player. Stayed the whole year. Could be promoting that. Could be going with that. But instead, the year before, we're fighting over a seating in a ballpark. And then we turn around. Now we are at the point where you just didn't get the automatic renew on the lease. Now you've got to go and petition for it. But yeah, it's a niche thing. It's whatever the top Google result is. That's what most people know about it. Mm-hmm. The common person, they don't really care. It's minor league baseball, so what's the difference? The only real difference is you don't have a major league affiliate backing, so you're not able to slap a Cubs logo on. You're not able to slap a Yankees logo on, a Dodgers logo on. So you don't have that backing. You don't have a well-known major league face doing rehab down there. And so if you're assuming the average person just going for the night out, which is you know, what the average person is going to do, you have to make that experience different and better. Especially if you're in an area like Gastonia is where there's other options. <laughs> there's other baseball options. So yes, uh, that's a great point. Like you have a triple A team in your backyard and you're a border. A hell of a good one. Yeah. And right now, what's one of the top markets for MLB expansion that keeps getting thrown around? Mm-hmm. It's Charlotte. Yep. So if you're going to have that right next door, what are you doing to be different? And really, there's two paths you could take. The one path, which the first thing I heard of when you said, when you just got to play within a few rules, but by and large, you're free to do what you want. The immediate thing I thought of was, they're more guidelines than they are actual rules, which is, you're essentially a pirate. There's a few things you're not allowed to do, but by and large, if you can think of it, and it's legal, and it makes sense financially, you can do it. You may get a little bit of pushback at the league office level, but by and large, you can do what you want. Look at St. Paul. For so many years, they were pushing the envelope with what they were doing. Were there times they definitely got a phone call like, what are you guys doing? Almost certainly. But at the same point in time, it worked. It worked out really well for them. And so you could take that route where you're different, and you stand out and you do kind of outrageous things and you attract that kind of crowd that kind of wants to go for spectacle. Or you can take the flip side, which is more of the Long Island route, which is you run your organization as you would, I hate to say a major league thing, because it's a vastly different economic scale and mm-hmm. it's vastly different in a lot of different ways. But the mentality is essentially the same, where it's every year yeah. our goal is to go out there and put out a team that we feel is confident to, if not win a title, contend. We expect to play competitive baseball for the vast majority of the year. Now, the second half this year, I don't know if I call that competitive, but that could also just be sandbagging and ready for the postseason, which mm-hmm. seeing teams do that before, not necessarily the worst decision. If you can flip the switch, that's a different conversation. But you can run it that way where it's like, I know I'm going to see a good product. I know I'm going to have a family-friendly good time. I'm going to enjoy my experience there. I know what I'm going to get, and it's going to be a good time. And it's definitely worked out very well for Long Island. I'd argue Somerset ran the same way. And so you look at all these different examples, and even if you're selfishly saying Indie Ball isn't exactly where we want to be, we want to be affiliated. If we go back to, again, the Gastonia example, 
you have a brand new ballpark that very well could either be high A or double A. If you ran your ship correctly and you had everything done up to the nines, everybody's paid, it's a great relationship you have with the consumer community and the commercial community. You mean to tell me when an expansion team comes to town, they're not going to be interested in putting their double A boot where they can keep their eye on every grade A prospect they have and be able to really monitor and watch that development. And you're not going to be able to brand off of that. And then should that partnership fail at some point, you mean to tell me if you're running a good organization there that the Orioles or the Nationals or the Braves or possibly another expansion team at a different point in time is not going to come calling and go, hey, would you like to sign the PDL with us? So I look at it from that perspective and just going, running the business a certain way, if you plan to own this thing for any duration of time, it's just the correct way of doing it. But to your point as to the game as a whole and the larger perspective, yeah, whenever stuff like this goes wrong, it looks bad on everybody. It makes it look amateurish and it plays back into the stereotype and, you know, the old expectation of it's glorified men's league for guys that can't give it up. And mm-hmm. the thing is, we have seen that's not the case. I mean, we've had, what, almost 70 guys have their contracts purchased this year? So yeah. 70 guys got another shot at potentially being a major leaguer. In the case of Barraclaw and Marriott, they did get back to the majors. It's more than just that. Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. To land, to, to, yeah, to move this out, too. It, it's, it's so much of it is perspective, controlling the perspective of others and also understanding, like, controlling the message, the perspective of yourself. Like, I, so just from a personal side of things, like, I, I mean, hell, I found myself in a spot where I went from not working with a team to, doing baseball operations for the legends last year. Yeah. And then, and they were right off the championship. Anybody who saw that team knows how good that 2021 team was. So oh, they were on the best. I would talking to friends about it. Right. Cause my friends don't understand any ball. Like, you know, most people don't. So, you know, I would be like, well, I'm like running like baseball operations for like an indie ball team. And they're like, so like, what is that? And like, I eventually just said, screw it. Like I'm going to be my own cheerleader on this. And I said it, and I was like, yo, right now I'm helping build the roster on what last year was the best non-major league baseball team in the U.S. Like, fight me on it. I'm just saying, like, I would have taken that Legends team over a AAA team. That team was definitely, that was a, I would say it's an outlier team. But, like, Indie Ball is capable at any given time of cranking out teams that could stomp all over any team that isn't a major league team. And it's just remembering, like, that's who we are and like you can define that narrative like you know lexington of course because they were a disaster with the ownership group couldn't figure out what the hell to do with that but like mm-hmm. they literally went from mourning the loss of a what they got a single a team yeah not high a single a team and then brought in a team with former major leaguers on it for the best quality of baseball they've had ever there and all you heard was people just like, oh, well, like, I don't know. It's like indie ball or whatever, isn't it? And I'm like, what? Like, but they've been there for a year getting it on like this. Like, it was just, there's a lot of markets like that where it's people, if you don't tell people who the hell you are and show them who the hell you are, they're going to make their own assumptions. Mm. Goes back to marketing. Goes back to the yeah. controlling the message and the medium. And mm. well, I know we got to move on, so we'll move on after 
after I just get the one thought, which is when you fail to market correctly and you fail to understand the objective of your marketing, I feel like it speaks to the understanding and the objective of the organization as a whole, which is when you're a new team, particularly on the independent level, obviously, and I'm not saying profit isn't important. Obviously, profit is, you know, pretty paramount. But the initial thing you got to be doing is saying, this is what we are. This is what we do. This is how we're different from regular affiliated ball and hammering that in there and playing into we're trying to give you an actual good product. Our main goal is serving you, not some higher power. And when you see the marketing shift to, I just want to sell as many tickets as we can, or just it's whatever. If we have money left over, we'll market. If not, it's not that big of a deal. It kind of speaks to you don't quite understand the consumer base you're trying to get into your ballpark. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Let's talk about some player oh. awards here. All right. Which is a really weird transition, but it's the one we're going to make. Um, it's fine. Yep. So we got player awards for the Frontier American Association. We'll run through the American Association first. I'll admit these are really disjointed the way they announce these. I don't like it at all. There's no even article yeah. on the website as of right now that lists them out. So we're probably going to drop a guy here or there. Uh, but yeah, it's it's hard to track. At least with the Amer and even the Frontier wasn't great about it to be quite honest because like they listed four guys I think. Three or four? Three. So not exactly great on their front, even though there's more than three awards. So, yeah, wasn't a great job in releasing all of that. I'll have to go back through to see if I can't find a press release once I'm done reading through all these names here. But in any case, uh, let's just jump right into the uh, postseason team, and then we'll get into the awards from there. This is American Association up first, then we'll do Frontier. Uh, The American Association starting pitcher of the year, uh, Solomon Bates, I'm going to assume that means he's also the pitcher of the year. But, I mean, that may be a assumption that I shouldn't make. Mm, I have no idea either. Yeah, I think they did this last year too, even though it was pretty clearly going to be Matt Hall, even though I like tried to make it be like, well, Kevin McGovern. Uh, so Solomon Bates, Sioux City, is your starting pitcher of the year, relief pitcher, Charlie Hasty from Sioux Falls. Catcher is going to be Chris Herman from Kansas City. Infield goes first baseman Mike Hart, Sioux Falls. Second baseman Brian Torres, Milwaukee. Third baseman, this one has some controversy around it, Dason Crows. Um, he is from Winnipeg. This overlooks Jose Sermo and it overlooks Matt Lloyd, both guys that I saw some campaigning for online about. And when you look at the numbers, it is kind of like, okay, well, maybe those guys should have gotten the nod here, but whatever. Uh, Shortstop, Josh Altman. That one's pretty obvious. He's from Chicago. Outfielders are Hill Hill Alexander and Zach Narrier, both from Cleveland, and Max Murphy from Winnipeg. Utility man is Cam Balego, uh from Milwaukee, and DH is Jabari Henry from Sioux Falls there. So realistically, they all seem pretty good. I would just say third base is a point of contention here because, quite frankly, I probably would have went Sermo in that spot. Hmm. I, um, I'm i not going to get too deep into it. I've been really focused on the, the playoffs. If not, I was cut off guard by awards happening this week. I should pay more attention. But Yeah, um, I thought they were coming a little bit later, was, too. 
Yeah, I've been kind of locked in on doing the because we're right in that sweet spot of playoffs and also like the playoff chase in the other leagues. So I would kind of focus on that. Plus, I'm going to be doing my own award thing, so I don't really care. Well, no, not that I don't care. I, I do actively kind of try not to just bias myself by seeing what other people are up to because. I could I could really affect myself either way because I'm both person, someone who could get some confirmation bias going, but also someone who's like, oh, you picked him. I ain't doing that because I'm the worst. I mean, like in fairness here, I, I expect your award show to have just like full on an actual show. I don't want just awards. There better be like that's my goal. Honestly, I want this thing to be so over the top and dumb. It's probably going to come out like next July. It better be the Oscars. <laughs> That that's my expectation. And secondly, here, like in the case of Dason, I kind of get it. he. Let me give you his full line here. I'll pull it up real quick here. Rookie too, so that is a factor in it. Um, mm-hmm. He had three home runs, sixty-seven RBIs, forty-one walks to the thirty, or yeah, to thirty-six strikeouts, five stolen bases, and he hit three fifty-one. The reason why I said I probably would have went Sermo there. Is why, yeah, he only played in 79 games, partially because he went to Mexico for a minute. He still had 28 bombs. And he had 77 mm-hmm. RBIs, 51 walks, admittedly double that amount for strikeouts, so not great. 10 stolen bases, 273 batting average there. But overall, I just feel like that's a stronger resume than what Dason did. Plus, I also think of it like this what Sermo did actually mattered. Not to say, you know, Crow's season wasn't good or wasn't important to him. It certainly was. But at the end of the day, Winnipeg was, what, the worst team or second worst team in the league? So, you know, you could have put anyone on here. You could put Chris Herman on that team. It would not have mattered because that team was not going anywhere. While in the case of Sermo, that was a team that just got in. You could very well say, if Sermo doesn't have the season he has... Then Cleburne's not in. I believe it was Lake Country that would have taken that final spot. And now it's a different outlook here for the whole playoff scheme. So I just point to Sermo as the guy like, yeah, he had more of an impact on the year. Now, if we're just comparing straight up, I could see how you could go and make the decision that was made. One has a more well-rounded season. So I get that. I understand that. But Still, at the end of the day, I, I just kind of weigh the importance of the season a little bit more than the well-roundedness of it. Yeah. Um, uh, again, that's more into like the, the are we talking most valuable player? Are we talking best player argument? It's a different conversation. Um, I suppose it'd be best player will, in this case, to be honest. I will, Yeah. I will selfishly hold my thoughts on this one until... I, I one because again I, I am being like haha I'll do my own thing but also because I feel like I haven't had enough time to really like sit down and, and rank the players in my own mind right now. It's just been watching things as they chaotically happen for the last several months and just mm. doing my best to not drown. Fair enough. Um, it's just one of those things. It was the only point of contention I really saw. So I wanted to just bring it up and make the argument for or against that. But uh yeah. Uh moving on from I will do neither. It's because I'm the worst. Well, that's why you're here. Any case, <laughs> any case, we got four other awards in this league to get to before we can get to the Frontier League and then actually get into baseball discussion. Defensive Player of the Year is Sam Dexter from Fargo. The Twitterless Sam Dexter. Natch, yes, I guess sir. now it's the X-less 
Sam Dexter, captain of the Red Hawks. Uh, rookie position player of the year, Dason Crows, as you can probably guess, Fargo again. Uh, rookie pitcher of the year, Weston Meyer uh, from Kane County. And then the player of the year was Chris Herman from Kansas City, who makes a lot of sense for that role. Also makes us fail on the one uh, over-under from a few weeks back when we said the over-under for... American Association MVP is going to be 26 home runs. Herman mm-hmm. wound up finishing with 23 home runs. So the under hit. Hate it. Yeah. Ain't that something? So I think we said, <laughs> did we say under or just say over? I think we said over, actually. Yeah, we said over because at that point, like, we were looking at the situation. If I remember right, it was like Murphy was right up there. Altman wasn't that far behind. And Sermo was there, too. And we were like, Max Murphy has a good case. I believe that's who we kind of were like, yeah, it's going to be Murph. Because of the story, and mm-hmm. you looked at the stat lines, like this is a pretty stat line. And then I think I may have mentioned, like maybe Herman, but I doubt it. The home runs really aren't there. But I was looking at that RBI number and the batting average. And I was like, those are good, but I just don't know if they're good enough to overcome. Yeah. The thing was, Murphy was close on both of them. So it was like, you know, like if you can overlook like a 12 to 20 point difference batting average wise, you know, Murphy matters more. And I guess because they go with, well, it's player of the year, not not MVP. So that's the other mm-hmm. thing, too. Cause it's I like, know. It's, yeah, it's so difficult, man. Because, like, no doubt Herman was more valuable to Kansas City than Murphy was to Winnipeg. We just went through this with Crows. But, like, overall season-wise, it's like, well, I mean, I guess they, it comes down to the difference in home runs is easier to overlook than the difference in batting average. It's like, let me quickly yeah. just see what Murphy's batting average was at the end of the year. Uh, he finished the season batting. Okay, it was 289. 289 to 355. Okay, that is a big difference. <laughs> I didn't realize it was that big at first. And what was, wait, what was Altman's at? Because, like, that's also important to me here. True. Mm, uh, 290. Okay, so same basic thing. Adds up now. Okay. And Herman is at the same amount of RBIs as Altman, more than Murphy. So, yeah, I mean, like, honestly, now looking at the stat line here, I wouldn't be stunned. I think I mentioned this to you on Tuesday. Like, if Herman winds up being the Baseball America Player of the Year for Indie, for indie Ball, I wouldn't be sh- I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, I agree. I I could definitely see him going that direction on that one as well. Um, yeah, specifically from the Baseball America side, I think they, they would like that because they also... I mean, I think of it this way: like they'll probably do a little article about it, and they have a better story to tell, maybe on the with the comeback there. Yeah, that also there. Yeah, and that's not saying he doesn't deserve it. I do think. I mean, yeah, he is the better overall one. So. Like, like part of the reason behind it is you know it's either going to be the Atlantic League or the American Association Frontier League. For all you do, you just don't have that kind of guy, and the competition level is going to be a thing. Like, if there was to be anyone from the Frontier League, it would. I feel like Alfredo Marte would have the best case and he'd still have to have one really good year. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me a lot of like the Jordani Valdespin year where it's like a guy that's kind of known. You hear his name like, oh yeah, he was in the majors. He had a really solid year on a good team. Probably a team that is going to win a championship if not play for a championship. It, it checks a lot of boxes. Yeah. Um, and there's no Atlantic yeah, League I, guy either that really jumps out at yeah, you. Yeah, we went through that list. It's just there's no real standout like that this year. Yeah. Um, 
Like and I, I see maybe. them being hesitant to me. Or Cordero, Cordero, perhaps, but I mean, like, that's even a stretch. So my weird thing was, I was like, yeah, I don't see them going to the Frontier League, but I'm like, well, I don't see a reason they wouldn't go for, like, a guy like Keon Barnum if he had the best numbers in the league. So, like, maybe a James Nelson would be in play. So that's where I start to wonder where maybe they would reach a little bit into that side. But I don't know. That's a whole different topic. To, I mean, Barnum also won the thing twice, though. And he has kind of... Uh, that's, that was just that was an example of, yeah. like, if Keon put up the numbers that, say, like, James Nelson did this year, then I don't think they'd hesitate to give to Keon again because he has previously shown that he can do it at different levels and things like that. So, sure, maybe the Frontier is a lower level, but still they know Keon Barnum's Keon Barnum. Fair, um, fair. Well, but with that, I was like, maybe it's not that much of a stretch to say that like a James Nelson could be in play if they wanted to. Baseball America does love a home run. Fair. I just like just continuing with Keon Barnum. I know he's just an example here, but like, but you look at Barnum's numbers; they're not that far off from uh, mm-hmm. from Nelson because it's what the three sixteen batting average to three eighty eight. I mean, what seventy points plus? So I mean, like that is notable, yeah, but like. RBIs wise, more there, same amount of home runs. So like it's still not like it's a bad year. It's just like not nearly hitting four hundred. I mean that that's just the thing. Like for Nelson and I guess we'll just move right to the Frontier League because Nelson was named MVP, which is a difference between player of the year and most valuable player. Um mm-hmm. Nelson basically was Tony Gwynn with power. So you know, it's it's a difference there. I mean, to the point, I think I could see it, but eh, I just think it's hard <laughs> to overcome the, I just really think it's hard to overcome the Frontier League thing. If you have the track record to back it up, sure, but it's still, you look at the competition level and it's like, you're going up against a lot of like first and second year pros. So that's a lot different than going up against guys that pitched, you know, overseas or played in the majors or the double and triple a level for the majority of their career when you're coming from like you know naia ball or you're playing for like some college in the middle of nowhereville idaho it's you know a little bit different right not to say they're not good players but like it's a lot different comparing that versus a dude that just pitched last year in japan (laughs) You're right. I, I I can't argue with that. Uh, you know, actually, I have a pretty hard feeling about where all the different leagues rank, like stack up. Yeah. I, I think, I, I guess my main point is I could see them going that direction, though I don't say that I would agree with it. Mm. So, yeah, I think you and I are on the same page. So All that to say, I think we agree. <laughs> exactly. We definitely agree on that. And uh, any thoughts on James Nelson being named MVP? I know you're going to do your own awards, but any real thoughts on that? I actually do have some thoughts on that one. Um Nate, my initial thought seeing it was like, I mean, we just got our eyes on James Nelson that Jackal team this week. Yeah. Um, my initial thought was I like James Nelson. He had a good year, but I'm like, man, the Frontier League really didn't bother to like take into consideration the park being played in. But then, so I took it upon myself and I was like, well, let me run the numbers on Ballpark Factor, which for those of you not, you know, baptized into the world of uh, misery that is park factors and things like that. It's, you know, does your ballpark benefit pitchers or hitters? And then it, you can apply that number to like kind of balance the stats out. 
So basically if a guy in a home run friendly park is hitting like 40 home runs, you can kind of apply you know, the, the park factor to that and get a sort of what would he do in an average ballpark type of thing. Um, so yeah, I started pulling that apart and I was really surprised for what I found because the thing that I stumbled into here was that, um, honestly, the Jackals ballpark, it, it, there's been a lot of talk about Hinchliffe and, uh, how hitter friendly it is because the weird shape and the short fence, uh, especially on the right, but it was only the sixth most hitter friendly ballpark this season. Um, ballpark factor is best represented over a course of like four or five years, but, uh, I don't have that much data. Uh, Frontier League hit me up. Uh, and specifically, if I'm comparing Hinchlift to others, I mean, it's only been around for a year, so I'm using what I got. But uh, yeah, if uh, Ballpark Factor, it uses oh, just a one as like the middle ground from there. So anything above a one is hitter friendly and anything below a one is increasingly pitcher friendly. And they were a 1.03, um, which shows that you know, there were some weird things there, but I would say James Nelson certainly earned it with his number. Like his, his numbers are great. Um, and I think he just had a hell of a year and we shouldn't be taking away from it by, uh, pointing to the ballpark too much. And maybe that's just a lesson I had to learn. Nobody else needed it, but there it is. Um, well, yeah, we both I mean, big there on are, that. what was that? We were both big on the, on the ballpark being a factor in it that like, Oh, it's a hitter's ballpark. So yeah, like, so that's kind of why I need like... to see it. Yeah, I had to see it myself. And there there are asterisks on that. As I said, like it's better measured over a number of years. But um, it, the weird one that I pointed out on Twitter earlier was that uh, essentially the reason, like what you do with finding a ballpark factor is just, it's simple. You compare the number of runs scored, like in this example, for in Jackals games, the total number of runs scored at home versus away and sort of how that compares like per game. Um, and it was pretty even, but the thing that, you know, I stumbled into was that, uh, it was even because weirdly the offense was much better at home at Hinchliffe, which you would expect, Yeah. but the pitching was much better on the road, like almost a full run better on the road. And that's where you start to balance things out. Um, and so I do think probably there is some advantage. I think PJ Phillips put together a roster that like a lineup that, knows how to pitch and well for that knows how to hit in that ballpark uh powerful lefty hitters who can pull the ball um and i think that sort of affected the numbers as well but um i guess if somebody tells you that you know all of the numbers coming from the jackals this season should be viewed suspiciously i would say for the most part no i think uh, that isn't the case and for what's worth james nelson's already so you can also shove that yeah, I was just curious to see like how old he was because like I feel like that was going to be a factor. He's only twenty five, so it's not like he's. I know, right? Yeah, he's not really old. So like, yeah, <laughs> I was expecting like, oh, well, he's a twenty seven year old in this league, so it's like, so it'd be a little bit less impressive. But no, 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 he's right in the range, like a little bit on the upper end of the range, but he's right in range. And he, you know, briefly, sure, small sample size, but he showed that he can he can do it last year in Lexington too at the Atlantic League level because True. seventeen games hit four hundred with six dingers and like sixty three plate appearances. I mean, so if you're looking for a guy, man, <laughs> James Nelson might be your solution. Are we going to count that little bit of time in Somerset too? Is it two games there? Or? 
Oh my god, I, it's so funny. I overlooked that. Well, no, that's oh, buddy, that's Eastern League. Somerset. I know. Yeah, I see it. I see it for twenty two. You will. You will get no credit for that Somerset time. We don't know them anymore. <laughs> we don't know them. New phone. Who's this? <laughs> Lose um, my number. You know who's. I don't number? like who you affiliated with. Yeah, I'm, I'm, which I'm in fairness, if your friends include the New York Yankees. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, it wasn't a Yankee shot. It was just a shot of being affiliated because... I mean, it works for both, though. I won't want yeah, to Yeah, I'm happy. I'm not complaining. It went well. Yeah. But you know who we do want to be associated with? Tell me. The Frontier League's Pitcher of the Year, Cole Cook. Because he's the Frontier League Pitcher of the Year, along with Rookie of the Year, Noah Myers, who, as we've been discussing throughout this show, had himself a day. An adventurous day. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really know where to go from that. It's just that's where we're at. So uh, I guess Cole fits there, and I guess Noah does. I don't really have rookie stats in front of me, and it's hard to keep track of all the classifications throughout the year. So we'll go with Noah fitting that criteria. I mean, as an everyday player, he hit 322. Come on, load the rest of your stats. Uh, 322, 18 home runs, 58 RBIs. 41 stolen bases in 93 games. I mean, that's a very good year for anyone, much less a rookie. So respect that. And then as far as Cole Cook goes, very good year. I He kind of flew under the radar because he was, you know, in Joliet as part of one of the you're not god-awful, but you're certainly not good teams. 223 for the ERA. 12, home, 12 wins. Led the league. Second in strikeouts, which makes sense. He's a big strikeout guy. Honestly, really solid year from Cole. Good for him. Yeah, I mean, if I want to, if I want to be the the troublemaker, I'll say yeah. what I know from my numbers is that he was pitching in the most pitcher friendly ballpark. Um, yeah, but his team sucked. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, Whip a one too. Yeah, I think. Um, and in fairness, too, if you compare. His, I mean, still, I think he probably would have put up like a two six ERA pitching an average ballpark, which is still, <laughs> you know. Which you know, it's funny. That's, that's, a, that's that. a year right there. Yeah. So what's funny about that? If you combine his twenty two number and twenty three number for his ERA, it winds mm-hmm. up being just a shade under uh, two point seven. Yeah, there it's you two, go. It's a two sixty nine. So, and he lowered just in case anyone was curious, he lowered that ERA by a total run. Overall, that's the awards. Uh, only piece of news we really have left, and we're just going to touch on this briefly because it's still really developing. It's just something that someone here sent a tweet out about, so we're going to address mm-hmm. it, which is Frontier League expansion, because we're going to toss that into the middle of a playoff episode, too. Supposedly, four new teams, new markets. We're going to be Montreal and Pawtucket, although, correct me if I'm wrong, Pawtucket looks to be a little bit more touch-and-go now, more on the not-going-to-happen side of life. And then there's two other teams jumping in from the Atlantic League, and I'll let you take it from there. Uh, yeah, none of this is official. This is all sort of still off of rumor. Nobody wants to go on the record with it. Um, and, you know, you never know even how, when that's the situation, you never know how up-to-date the info you're getting is. But I've been knocking on doors and trying to get some sort of additional info. But, um, yeah, so essentially what I'm hearing is there's multiple markets. What we no, with some pretty good certainty is that, well, uh, hell no, I'll say I'll, I know for a fact, <laughs> is that uh, teams are not happy with the travel situation in the Frontier League. Uh, additionally, teams are happy with the Empire State situation. Um, Understandable. Continued use of the travel team. So 
Um, that's a priority. That's getting more of a priority. It seems to have been involved as well in uh, agreeing with Tri-City for Tri-City to remain for, what, three more years, I yep. guess. Um, it, you know, I don't know if it was the terms of the contract. It could have been, but uh, it might just been expressed as a priority and something that's a priority of Tri-City because, hell, they mentioned it during the news reporting of the new deal to extend their time in the frontier. Uh, so it's obviously pretty important to them and that they seem representative of ownership of multiple teams uh, based on who I've talked to. Uh, so the way to resolve both issues, the travel issues and the travel team issue, uh, is to add, um, I mean, I guess technically it could be to to <laughs> remove teams, but that's not the direction the Frontier League wants to go. And they're, they seem quite proud of their 16-team uh, number, and, and if anything, they want to expand it. So um, I don't know how many teams are looking to expand to. Um, I know that multiple markets have been kicked around and discussed at points, and uh, how far they've gotten in conversations, that's where I'm having troubles exactly pinning down, you know, was this an idea that was batted around? Was it a suggestion? Was this something that you were currently you know, talking about as a league? Um, but the, the ones that have come up uh, is uh, Montreal, which would be, at a, I, I think, an existing ballpark that might need a renovation. I, I have limited info there. That's the one I know the least about. Um, yeah. Beyond that. Just to uh, jump the in on the Montreal Puckett. thing. I yeah, do remember. Effort. Yeah, I do remember in the All-Star Game announcement, not obviously nothing formal from the league yet, but I saw in the... Uh, one from around the All-Star game where he said Quebec's getting the one for 24. It was mentioned that they won a team in Montreal. So that could be at Montre at uh, Quebec's insistence that, hey, we want another team in Provence to kind of help out our travel too. Yeah. Um, beyond that, there's also Pawtucket hanging around. Pawtucket's a complicated one, like you said, because so when I got the information about Pawtucket, I, I have a, a little clearer time frame on this piece where the conversation with the different sources that, who, who sort of brought Pawtucket to me, uh, that was discussed before and there was basically news that, yeah, that stadium in Pawtucket's done. Um, but since then, <laughs> so like I got it basically when it's out of date, but since then there's still continued rumblings about that weird like Russian billionaire sniffing around out there. Or sorry, Slovenian, I think he is, but let's be honest, I think. Eastern European. Russian. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, that guy, the big issue is that guy is a weirdo. <laughs> He's yeah. like a really weird guy, and I, I, I would not endorse him becoming an owner. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like the kid of like this really rich New Yorker, he's like a multi-billionaire. His kid is the one involved with it, and his kid is so weird, bro. He's got like twenty kids or something ridiculous like that. Like it's, yeah, yeah it's Stefan Solovyev. Like, buddy, what? Um, so I mean, he's an American, but like that, yeah, yeah, it's not Build a great so, look. Yeah, it's definitely a concern. Um, it, it just it doesn't seem like a consistent even keel type of person like even when they talk to him about like why he wants to keep it it's just like oh i just saw it and i love it and i want to keep it and it's like what like i don't think that's a basis for a long-term successful organization especially someone who has no idea what they're doing running a baseball organization which he obviously would not um yeah. that's where that is so i don't know there was just another article about that with him who i heard he was out and then now i'm hearing that he's 
like maybe still interested, but I don't, I wouldn't put a lot of stock in that. Uh, what I would say is that the fact that there's still articles around, people are saying like other oh, things done, they're tearing it down. I'm like, you don't know. Yeah. It is easier to throw a ballpark up or renovate the carcass of an existing ballpark than it is to build a new one. So don't ever write off that until, you know, it, there's yeah. something else built there. Until it's torn uh, the down, most, it's not done. Yes, exactly. Um, the ones that were the most interesting to me were, and I'll, I'll just give what I have on each one, uh, would be the two Atlantic League markets that have been discussed. And again, mm-hmm. I don't know the extent. It's just working off of like the rumor and reading the room on what conversations keep coming back around and what names I keep hearing over and over. Charleston is one of them. Staten Island is the other. And I think they're two very different situations. Staten Island, I would be surprised if they can leave the Atlantic League this soon. I would assume they at least have another year they would have to do. Okay. Um, when we're talking about, or... I, I think, I don't know the exact things. I just think two years is a very short time to agree to, and I'd be surprised. It, when it comes to Staten Island, I don't think they're seeing the return they want to see from the Atlantic League. I don't think it's a market they want to be involved in. Just looking at them as a team and an organization, they feel like an organization that would be more cut out for and comfortable in both financially and just operations wise competing against teams like the Jackals and the Miners rather than the Ducks. Like, let's be honest here. Like, yeah. it's such a different challenge and it's a lot. And there's, you know, it's expensive and they're still not seeing a big attendance push. So I wouldn't be surprised by that. I was not surprised to hear that name come up. Mm. Uh, but I think there would be complications and possibly a wait until that happened. I think, and if we want to get into my theory of what might happen here and how this plays out, uh, I worked in an Andy Shea-run organization in Lexington. Uh, he runs the Charleston organization right now. Uh, he expressed early and often to me that he is not happy with the Atlantic League and that he does not want to be in the Atlantic League. Uh, he felt it was too expensive. He felt that uh, his voice did not carry enough weight within conversations in the league. Uh, compared to other owners, he did not agree with the way that Rick White handled things very frequently. He also seemed to resent the fact that, you know, the league would be like, hey, we need you to do this and do this well, like whatever it might be. And there would be moments where he's like, just let me do my thing, which we saw how that went in Lexington. Yeah. Um, for multiple reasons. Like, I mean, he even discussed like wanting to do uh, basically the way they did the bourbon trail in during COVID they had like four sites that they had, like he basically had multiple teams that were moving around different sites. Like that's what he was even thinking about. So that's where his, his head is at. So hearing that he could potentially go to the frontier does not surprise me at all. Um, I I think it would solve a couple things for the frontier league. It would mean that they could get rid of the grays without um, stepping backwards in the number of teams that they have in the league. Because they do like that 16 number. I think it also is, you know, it, it doesn't, it fills in a little bit of gap in the map. If you look at it, it's not like, um, it, when you look at the bad travel, you look at like the capitals to the Grizzlies. That's a tough scene. Yeah. Um, but it does add another middle ground, like a stopping point that's between, um, I mean, essentially the two, you know, central most teams right now are the crushers and the wild things. They would be south of both, but kind of between them talking. East You'd be in the same region. Um, Exactly right, which can simplify some travel. They could look at maybe doing four teams per division. That way they can start to split some things up. The pot would do a lot for them. Yes, it would do a lot for them locations wise. I think Montreal would offer something similar to that. So 
that's why. And honestly, so would all of the Staten Island and Pawtucket would also offer that, like that kind of situation. So um, what they really need now is just not to have that damn travel team. Um, yeah. But I think my feel would be that next year, uh, the Atlantic League sees Hagerstown come in, which gives them, if you're keeping track at home, 11. Um, I think they would keep Frederick, which would bring them to 12. Uh, I I think Gastonia, my prediction is Gastonia is not back in the Atlantic League next year, uh, which would put them once again at 11, and it will make it nice and clean and convenient to let Charleston go. And then they're back at an even number 10, um, which is kind of funny after all that expansion that they didn't have to 10 again. Um that would then give the frontier 16 with a little bit of a better footprint uh, and, you know, hopefully less travel, I guess, for those teams who are, are more concerned about that. So yeah. that is my prediction on what happens next year. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. Sorry that that took several turns, but if I'm putting out like rumor and conjecture and there's different levels of, you know, yeah, you want to fill it out. I at least want to justify that. Yeah. Cause yeah. one, I don't want to, uh, start anything by putting something out there that's like, look, this is just being talked about a little bit, and it might not even be talked about officially by anybody. The other, and I don't want, you know, if one of those is completely off and it's just rumor, I don't want it to taint things like Charleston, which I have a lot more information on and things like that. So appreciate you riding with me on that adventure there. But yeah, that's what you got going on for potential Frontier League expansion in the near future. Yeah, I don't really have much else to add except for a couple points. Uh, one, if you were to take the attendance, and we'll just assume reported attendance is legit, which always is a sketchy thing, although with Charleston and mm-hmm. Chuck Domino, that normally is a decent number. Uh, their 2300 a game would put them, one, two, three, four, it would put them in fifth in attendance in the Frontier League behind Tri-City, New York, Quebec, and Schaumburg. Uh, if you do the same for Stanton Island, who is currently at about 1,100 a game, it would put them uh, second from the bottom ahead of only New Jersey. Now, you could argue that, well, when they're playing more local teams and they're in a more, for lack of a better term at the moment, competitive situation, maybe the number mm-hmm. goes up a bit more, maybe you're able to do something a little bit more. Uh, but even still, to reach the Sussex number, uh, 1,500 a game seems maybe a little optimistic. Also, yeah. Um, no, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, the only other point I had was I looked at Montreal ballparks very quickly. Uh, the only one that really springs to mind, and again, maybe there's more to it that didn't pop up in my initial Google search, but uh, Gary Carter Stadium appears to be one. They played a exhibition game there actually earlier this year in June between Three Rivers and Schaumburg. Problem is, it only seats a thousand people. Um, so that's obviously an extremely low number. And judging by it, their seating is more like in line with what Northern Colorado has. It's very reminiscent of that. Uh, so it's not really, you know, something with a professional ballpark in mind. And they just put about 10 million into it, mainly in uh, turf upgrades. So they went to turf. I don't think they'd really be willing to put more money into the thing. Perhaps they would, but I imagine to get it to an actual, you know, frontier league standard of living, it would require a more extensive kind of upgrade there and may just be easier to go something brand new. Perhaps there's another ballpark there that will require less work or there's a patch of land that you could do something with. But either way, uh, Montreal does seem to have its own challenges. Yeah. And and I mean, 
if they could find a way to, you know, a, a small, uh, you know, small capacity or list of capacity doesn't mean, you know, everything. If there's a way you could set it up or maybe even just do a renovation, which allows for more like standing areas, you could be fine. I don't know the logistics on that. That is the one I definitely have the least information on. Um, but I think I have a, might have more info as soon as next week on that. That's actually where I've gotten a little more movement, which is nice. But of course, it's the one I currently don't have as much info on. So it's a weird mix there. But yeah, I, I've I've done a search through there too. That's kind of where I was finding as well. If there was going to be something existing, and might you go that way. Though the thing with the frontier is they are a little more flexible when it comes to the ballparks they're in. It's not like the Atlantic League where they have like kind of a hard set of rules to where they will or will not go. Yeah, <laughs> the thing that gets me though, and this will be the last thing, and then we'll move on to actual baseball discussion years. The last point I really have is, if Montreal has the backing of Quebec, I feel like that's a very powerful voice to say, make it happen. Um, yeah, and I assume, I think it should not be understated how valuable uh, to the Frontier League the Canadian organizations are. I don't yeah. know as much with uh, when it comes to uh, Trois-Rivières. Like, I don't know how the league feels on them, but just by seeing the fan base and the energy and um, the seriousness around the organization, specifically in Ottawa and Quebec, those are organizations you can build around. Ones that are serious about staying oh, in this league. And, Quebec's and a model franchise. The league. Yes. So those are ones where, you know, just like with Tri-City, where when Tri it sounds to us, it sounds like, Tri-City might have been like, yeah, we're going to hang around, but you need to do something about the travel and the Empire State Grays. And all of a sudden, that's when certain names, you know, I'm sure they were, they've been looking, but that's when yeah. movement really seemed to start. So I agree completely. I think those teams would love to have another Canadian team. Those teams, there is no rule saying that they need to have Canadian guys. Of course, you're going to sign locals. Like, that's a normal thing. Like, yeah. you tend to see guys that are more local to teams, probably on these indie ball rosters. But like, it is an outlier how many Canadian guys are playing on those teams. Like those, it is one, again, talk about what's good for the game. It is great for Canadian baseball to be up there. It's great for indie ball. It's great for the Frontier League to diversify that way. Like there is no bad thing about having a strong Canadian market presence. And hell, Montreal would also offer a very unique opportunity with the history of, you know, MLB and the Expos and like give an opportunity to come in and do something there. I don't know. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think it's all good stuff, and I do think it. I, while I have very little detail on Montreal, I would absolutely not be surprised if that's a priority moving forward. It's just the one point I wanted to bring up was who's pushing each market because it feels like everybody has you know one they're pushing. Or in the case of like a Charleston, it feels like okay, this just makes a lot of sense and it solves a lot of problems for a lot of people. So maybe we make it happen. Yeah, and I know Florence is a backer on that idea. Yeah. Um, yeah, like one, it's it's a close travel partner, and two, Florence and um, Florence ownership and Charleston ownership are very close. So yeah. that's one where, um, yeah, that they are definitely combining efforts on that one. I don't know what they're like with the wild things. I don't know what the wild things are. Ships like at all. So the front office, I have zero insight into. Yeah. There's only a few out there anymore where I at least you know don't have any feel for even how they typically operate <laughs> like yeah. I, the wild things all i know is pat mcafee played there that's what i've got that is all i got <laughs> they're so another one as well ran but yeah they are a little bit harder to crack hey look if i don't know anything too that usually means there's no drama so Fair, that's yeah. good yeah <laughs> that's nice that i haven't had, I even had to find an inside source on something yeah yeah that also to be fair the press guy does a good job uh, kyle dawson he's a, he's that good is, at his job yes that's yeah. very true and 
maybe that's part of it too. Maybe it's, I haven't had to do my own digging on things and reporting on things. That's just, you know, they are to me, they are what they are at face value. And that's kind of how I live when it comes to wild things. Fair enough. Fair enough. So uh, on that note, we'll move it over into actual baseball discussion. Now we'll try to give you something good on that front there. Cause this is uh this is a pretty jam packed episode. Everyone wanted last week's one with the uh, Boulder fight, but this is the one that's really the interesting one. At least the weird people like us, so take that how you will. I mean, let's be real. If you're not people like us, why are you listening? Like, I, I have this so many is, questions to ask. If you're not into this, why are you listening? I'm just, I want to examine Cox walking into the room, and they're doing drugs. It's like, get out of here, Dewey. You don't want this shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here, it's, no, uh, sorry, sorry about your podcast, anyway. Uh, here, let's take this back a couple steps. Let's start it on Friday, uh, the 1st. When we last left off, we were recording. We said there was a lot of open-ended possibilities to postseason here. American Association pretty much shook out exactly like we thought it was. King County clinched. And then a day or so later, uh, Lake Country went out, bowed out. Cleburne took it. And Fargo wrapped up their deal, too. So I don't really think there's much to go over over there. So we'll leave that point, leave that pin in that grenade. And we'll focus more on the Frontier League because we haven't done enough of that this week. And Right. Good Lord. Yeah, really. But they're the interesting league, though, because they had a lot of open-endedness on their postseason structure. And Friday kicked off for us when we got done recording by about 30 minutes later, uh, mm-hmm. getting word that Quebec was going to have to forfeit a game. Uh, yeah. The classic. game prior. Yeah, right after we get done talking about how, oh, you know, the New York-New uh, Jersey series, that's going to be, you know, very important. He's going to come down, does PJ want to get his guys in line, get them rested, and just say, hey, let's knock out this wild card game and then, you know, get ready for Quebec, or are they going to make the shot for it? And then when we saw how everything broke down, we're like, yeah, he's probably just going to get them ready. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute, they're right back in the fight because now Quebec lost ground. The reasoning why they had to forfeit the game is because they played a player out of position, meaning Greg Bird played a position he wasn't allowed to because the terms of when he got signed was he's allowed to replace an injured player. And when you replace the injured player, then you can only play the positions they played. So in this particular case, he was allowed to be an outfielder and a DH and nothing else, and he played first. So that resulted in a forfeit. Did it really matter? We'll find out when we, you know, get into Saturday and Sunday in the discussion. But that's how Friday kicked off for us. How the rest of Friday went, it got kind of interesting. New York split the doubleheader with New Jersey. Sussex beat Empire State. Tri-City lost to Three Rivers. Quebec beat Ottawa. So, realistically, what happened was Sussex got put right into serious conversation about they may get this final spot in the wild card. New York was still in a position where it's like, okay, we're going to need to do something here, but we're still very much in the thick of things. This could go either way still, even though odds were definitely favoring Sussex County here. And Tri-City was still in the middle of spiraling out of control. Uh, and Quebec was just kind of like, okay, business as usual. We got to go win a game mm-hmm. now. Okay. Right. So that was all that. So any thoughts? This is, I'm going to struggle to focus on Friday for a moment. Um, this is terrible. I don't really have a lot of input on the Quebec Jersey situation looking back. Uh, however, and we can talk about this later if we want. I, yeah, I've had some strong feelings about this though. And, and the reason it goes way back to like 2021, uh, you might remember like as they entered the playoffs, um, uh, like Boog Powell went to the Ducks. 
And yeah. it was like, what the hell? It was well past the trade deadline. Yeah. The situation there was that um, you could still make a trade or you still could add a player to your roster if they replaced an injured player. I don't know the finer points of the rule in the Atlantic League currently, but that's interesting here that the Frontier League limits like what positions you literally can play. Yeah. Um, I think uh there there's a better solution there i think it's so silly to have to operate on this like trust thing of you know this player is hurt he's legitimately hurt it's not like he's just going somewhere else um it's not that we're saying he's hurt and he's not so that we can improve our roster before playoffs um it's not that you know now you're like making a weird deal with a team to get their player late like right before playoffs you know, it doesn't cost the team you're taking. Like it didn't cost Gastonia anything to send Boog over because their season was done. Yeah. Um, it, it was just very weird. It, it the vibe was terrible on that, and so I've had a, a sort of radar on that ever since. I'll say I think the best solution. Most of these leagues you can carry a reserve roster, uh, and usually it brings you like 28 guys. And I think it maybe at the end of the year you're allowed to like roster expand to like maybe two more extra guys. And basically what those extra guys can do and and because you don't want guys just sitting around that's not right that's not what we're supposed to be doing here is like active roster like you can expand your active roster uh and those guys can be then like that is your pool for replacing injured players now and like if your star player gets injured and that's all you've got like that's tough that is what it is like i think that's just sort of that would be the solution there instead of this weird dance of you know everybody in the Atlantic was real mad about the boog pal deal um Every, you know, it seems that Quebec, who is, as you just said, as a model organization, was seemingly pretty confused by the move made yeah. uh, or the, the rules surrounding that. Like, clean, I think it's just a much cleaner solution and can avoid issues like this. Again, talk about the optics. It doesn't look good having a team forfeit a game for a roster rule. This isn't Little League. Yeah, especially a just team say, hey, playing for position. Yeah, yeah. 30 days from the last, like, regular season game scheduled, you can expand your roster to an extra two players. Any player on that active roster is now like considered available, can be put in the games. Uh, and that way you can also, you know, survive an injury that might come up late after a trade deadline. That's my opinion. Yeah. So just to kind of contextualize it. So your reserve roster would be for lack of a better term, like a practice squad. And then once you get within that final month of the year, it'd be almost like a September call-up situation where your roster expands to add more players. So that way you can go and not have a situation like this where you have a restricted addition, essentially. Yeah. And reserve roster is used in like different, like it's got different labels, things like that. Like it's often the inactive roster. Um, It's usually, that's where you see, especially like, I know the Atlantic shuffles like crazy, like, uh, shuffles the inactive roster for pitchers, oh, um, yeah. getting fresh arms in there. So that's, um, you know, I think, and I don't really, it's cause I'm not really a travel squad even like I would want it, I guess throughout the year. Okay. Let me clean this up a little bit. So typically the inactive roster is like, you have to make a roster move to bring somebody from your inactive roster to your active roster. Um, I, I would just say basically your inactive roster can, can open up two spots maybe, and then you can keep basically an expanded active roster, including that whole pool. And I don't see a, a real advantage. I don't see why anybody would complain about that off the top of my head. Um, from my perspective, I'm like, we're talking about like back end bench guys who are currently free agents in indie ball for the most part. Mm. Um, 
you know, if, if somebody is getting into a game that wants somebody else to point to and say they shouldn't be getting into that game, for the most part, it's, you know, it's a back-end bench guy. It's not Boog Powell getting shipped from one team to another that, like two days before the playoffs. It's not a like, tangible upgrade in the position. No. And it also can talk about, you know, what are we doing here? Like, it, I think it also could get some guys some at-bats that might not get at-bats. Like, it, if you look at it, too, it, there's weird situations. Like, we had a couple guys last year looking at, you know, the team coming out of camp in Lexington. Like, we knew that wasn't the roster we wanted at the end of the year. Um but essentially, once we were going to bring guys on, we were going to make a decision of were we going to just outright release some guys or move them to other leagues or, you know, were we going to keep them on the inactive roster and then we can cycle them in for at-bats. But the problem with doing that is someone's got to go inactive for that. And, like, not a lot of guys want to sit back and miss, a, like, give away ABs at the indie ball level because they want to get the hell out of indie ball. Um, so by doing that also, you know, you can get some guys at-bats without having to, like, make a guy inactive for a full game to do so. All right. That's look. That's a generalization because everyone has their own weird stipulations with how you can move roster spots and whatever. But that's just based on the general flow of how rosters work in leagues. Which is all. So that was like really in the weeds. But like that was the number one thing that stuck out to me was like these stupid roster rules. <laughs> like, so that was a long way of saying roster rule had some sort of impact, or at least we thought it would. And in the end, I guess it kind of did. Yeah, and that I called BS on the saying Quebec volunteered this themselves. By the way, yeah, I don't, I don't believe that. I oh no, I think, think they, what I happened think they was they got a f- during the game. I yeah. think they flagged that during the game, and then brought the league after the fact. Um, oh yeah, I just think that Quebec was like, it. oh yeah, yeah. I think they did the thing like the NCAA does, where like you're like, oh, you get caught, and you go, yes, we did do that. Sorry about that. We will inflict this penalty on ourselves. <laughs> So essentially what you're saying is they did not pull a Zach Bryan. What I'm saying is you can't take away Reggie Bush's title if they happened. All right. Well, just let me know if there's a lab- <laughs> let me just know if there's a Labrador hanging out the passenger door. I did see Saturday. a tweet about that. That dog is happy and sleeping. Okay, that's good news. I'm kind of the dog yeah. is all right. I'm gonna circle sure. us back on topic. We're gonna to talk about Saturday now. Uh so on Saturday. Tri-City finally breaks their losing streak. Granted, it's like extras against the third worst team in the league, I believe. So not a great look there, boys. But you got it mm-hmm. done nonetheless. Sussex County also got a win, which put them into a win-and-you're-in situation. And that's because New Jersey defeated New York. That is not good because New York really needed to win that game. And now they were going to need help to get it done. Quebec also beat Ottawa. So at this point, I'd... You would know better than I would because I don't do the odds and whatnot. And also, it's been like almost a week, so I don't have it recalled to memory now. But I believe that pretty much clinched the uh, the East for Quebec, if not literally mm-hmm. clinching it for them. Yeah, uh, I don't really have much to add on that one. It was just, uh, I don't want to make it, I don't know. Yeah. I, part of me is like, that was kind of anticlimactic way to end it. But that's just because like Quebec ended up winning anyway. But I yeah. do think like... Uh, try city man yeah. <laughs> try, I, I don't i mean good lord i i mean that's a joke that is sorry sorry we saw like, that is like that's 2007 maths you know you could have used the red Sox from like a year or two later as an example hmm. you could have no. done that that was an option it was on the table and you opted not to do that mm-hmm. no 
I'm good. Any case, we'll go to Sunday here because, like, technically, everybody was still alive for that final wild card spot. But the way everything shook out, not exactly the case. So New Jersey won their game against Rockland. That eliminated Rockland out, right? But Rockland was going to need teams to lose to help them out, so that wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Tri City also did win first, like win you could kind of feel good about. Uh, but they were going to need both New York and Sussex County to lose to get themselves in. And, well, that didn't quite happen because Sussex County handled Empire State and got their win and they're in. So they won't have taken it. They really came out of nowhere, just ran right up the rail, took the spot. I believe it was, what, a seven-game win streak they rode into the postseason? Yeah, I think so. So they really, they worked hard to get it. Yeah, so I guess this is the point where we talk about Tri-City and their choke job now. Yeah, I don't even know where to begin with it. Um, Same old Valley Cats. That's really it is, and I don't want to be that guy because like it feels like they've it's done it lazy, more often than they but have. yeah, because well, yeah, in my head they've done it more often than they actually have. But like at the same time, they've, I mean, coming close and not getting there is like. Now that is what has repeated itself. What I mean, I say three times, right? Is yeah, that three, every year. Yeah, <laughs> every year. Yeah. Um, I mean, it does feel like a waste to talk about because, like, what are you to do about it? Like, because here's the thing: it, it's one thing, and this is an MLB team that like keeps getting to the end, and then they they choke, and it's like we got to make a change of manager because we need somebody to get it done. Like, but you're not getting a lot of times when Pete's getting more out of this team than he should have, just because what he has shown time and time again is he can network and bring guys in like with the best of them. Um, you know, there's no move to make. It's just, I really think it's just, maybe it's, you know, clubhouse adjustments down the stretch next year. But like, that's all I can think. Like it's tough to, you know, it's tough to say like, oh, they're choking when there really is no, if that's the narrative, there really is no part two to that narrative, which is weird. And see, the thing is like, I don't like this year was a choke job. In the past, it hasn't been that. It was slow starts that killed them. So it's not like they're losing the same exact way. And I'm trying to find my tweet about it because I think I said it pretty well in the moment there. It's just I'm having a very hard time digging through, you know, a week's worth of tweets to find the thing. In any event, you said it right when you said you can't change out the manager because Pete's the best you're going to have, even though last year his deal. So he's going to need a re-up if you you want to continue that. So maybe you make a change. Like, I don't think you're going to do any better, though. So... It doesn't really make any sense to, but if he doesn't want to come back, then I mean, like, you know, then he's not coming back. But I don't know what else he'd be doing with himself unless he's, you know, just kind of over independent ball. But managing in this for probably being in indie ball, really, for like over two decades now. I mean, I don't think he calls it quits now. Um, I I mean, he seems dedicated to it. I mean, whether that's because affiliated ball is an option so you got to be dedicated to it or because he is genuinely passionate i tend i do tend to think like i have some critical thoughts of pete but like i do think this is genuinely his oh, passion he cares. what he likes to do yeah. yeah he genuinely cares that's the thing yes so that's what makes it tough so like you assume like you just say for the sake of argument he's coming back like you've changed over this roster enough where you can't really blame the players so like you look at pete but you got well, pete's won in the past 
And he's still putting together competitive teams, and it's just a matter of this is a small playoff field. There's three teams to make it. So, mm-hmm. like, what exactly is it that we go to? What's the next thing? Where do we, you know, where do you go here? I found the tweet finally here, and what I had said was the, li- the losses to Empire State look really bad now. It's still a good year from Tri-City, but after three years, two of which end the last day, via a Sussex County game versus a one-year team, you know, close but no cigar rings hollow. So, like, that's what makes this an interesting off-season up there is that it's not as simple as, you know, remove a manager, put him in there. It's not as simple as change the staff out because we've done that. You could try overhauling the roster, but he's done that twice, middle of the season, and essentially was 100% turnover here. You brought in on paper, the best skilled player in the league in Aaron Altier. And yeah, he was hurt for a little bit, but still, you know, didn't do enough. So, like, where do you go? Because your hand, like, I don't want to question his ability to build a team with roster restrictions. In Grand Prairie, he did fine with that. Yeah, It's just, you know, on the Frontier League level, you don't have the same kind of money, so maybe it's harder to build a team like that. But again, he he finds college guys too that are good. So I, that's what makes it tough. Is there's no real answer here, and you can't just like say, "All right, just regroup and go right back at it again," because like the system doesn't work. So you got to try something new. But there's nothing new to try. And that's where I come to the unsatisfying conclusion here. And that's why I was kind of yeah. I, I struggled to even get in the conversation because it's yeah. easy to be like, well. You know, this is what happened, and every year it's the same thing. I, I mean, they slumped in a way that was gonna that, that would kill most teams. However, it still would not have killed them if the miners didn't rip off seven wins in a row down the stretch. Like sometimes, it's, it's just, just baseball. like baseball sucks, dude. Like yeah. it's a pain, um, and you know, it just kind of the unsatisfying conclusion is like. That's just kind of maybe how it is. And, you know, there isn't even a finger to point. Like, obviously, look, you should have done better down the stretch. But, like, what are you going to change next year? I don't know. I don't know if there is anything to change next year. Yeah. like I, I, I'll say. Three and seven, I mean, you still finish just to cut you off. You still finish technically tied for that last spot. It's just you lost the one series of the year you couldn't lose. If you flip even like, let's just say you lose an additional game to, I don't know, Empire State, but you get one more win over the Miners. I think that's enough to do it. It's just you won the wrong games. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about it. Like, it is you need to win the games that you have. Like, you can't go one game over 500. Especially when you have a team like Empire State, and I'll say this applies to the South, to the Atlantic League as well, when you have a team like Lexington, it was so bad for the start of the second half. Like, there's games you got to win, but there's games you got to not lose. Yeah. And... Like I'm looking, I sketched it out. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen wins. It looks like for Empire State. Yeah. Um, they won three times against two teams, uh, Trois-Rivières and Tri City. Um, they only lost. They, I'm sorry, Empire State only won twice against Sussex, won once against New Jersey, and zero times against Quebec. That means literally just by winning one or two more games against Empire State than the playoffs. And honestly, they it's in our head that they lost more to Empire State the year before they did lose once, but the teams that beat them into the playoffs 
either lost once as well or didn't lose them at all. Mm-hmm. So again, an Empire State, that, like literally one extra win against Empire State is all you need, which, yeah, it could be against anybody, but the lowest common denominator. Yeah. So um, yeah, I would also say let's not overlook, like, this is a team that now three years in a row has had to make a push. Um, if you recall last year, they had this slide in like June. They had a really bad stretch that put them, they, they started mm-hmm. out hot. Um, they kind of stumbled in late May, stumbled into June, and then had to like pull themselves through July and then get together late. Um, what they had to make a late push again in 2021, as I recall. So this is definitely the thing. And they did not have a good start this year as well. I, I wouldn't say it was as you know accentuated as others, but it looks like, I mean, I think they were below 500 in mid-June. Um, and if you look at, you know, they're collapsing down the stretch. Yeah, if you're a team where you have to go, like, gangbusters for a month and a half or two months to close the year because you had a bad start and someone out of the gate, like, you know, you can't – things are going to fall apart. Like, it's not – it's not like uh, – that's where I start to differ from my idea of, like, well, it's just baseball. Sometimes you go cold and someone else gets hot. And I'm like, well, yeah, but did you get cold because you had to beat this team to death? and work this pitching staff to death to get to where you are because of a bad start. And that is where I do start to see maybe a trend. And that points to, I've complimented Pete's ability to recruit midseason, and it's very impressive. But I think he's had a couple different times now where he's had to kind of redesign a roster in these three years. Oh, yeah, the first two years. the start of the season. Yeah, the first two yeah, years. I mean, horrible months. And then he had to rebuild them on the fly come like mid-June. And I remember watching those turnovers. They were like, 12 yeah, guys, he had 15 like 10 guys. roster moves in one day, yeah, right? Just, yeah, like yeah so, 12 guys got cut and 12 new guys came in. It was like, okay, we're just cleaning house. Yeah, and, and that's where you start to point things. Like, okay, let's say they're, maybe that is it. Maybe we just found it. Yeah. Maybe that's it. You need to show up on opening day ready to rock. Yeah. Um, and I mean, like, and that's easier said than done. Hell, when I was baseball ops for Lexington, I did not. We had a bad team to start the year. And um, the plan was to make it better, but that was a huge gamble. Gastonia started out hot, and we were like, oh, I guess we're not catching. I guess we are, like, literally a week in the year, we're like, oh, I guess we're not going to be uh, winning the first half. Good to know. Yeah. Like, that's how quick it gets out of hand. So, like, you need to be on it when the when it, when the gun goes off, man. You got to be ready to run. Yeah, and I mean, just to wrap up the Tri-City point, because then we can get into actual playoff discussion, I looked at their start this year, too, and honestly, like, I remembered it being better than it really was. Like, their first month, they have lost to uh, Lake Erie, it lost to Gateway, lose a series to Evansville, dropped a game to Empire State, dropped another game to uh, Three Rivers. I think they wind up dropping two there. Drop a game in extras to Washington, lose a series at Windy City, dropped another game against Washington, swept by Sussex County, which, again, hindsight, kind of funny that uh, two sweeps at the hands of the Miners is kind of what did them in. And they also dropped another game, their opening series, against uh, Three Rivers. So if you're losing games to Three Rivers, Washington, Windy City, again Washington, again Three Rivers, again Empire State, you know, those are losses that come back to bite you. Like, you you can't drop that. They got handled by Quebec, too. Realistically, I remember them having a stronger start than they did. So yeah, I think we're really on something that may be, you know, pretty obvious in hindsight, which is again, the starts are what's killing them. And really what bails them out is you have like these runs, like from July twenty third through August second, they didn't lose a single game. 
they won all that. So that's what, 10 game winning streak. So mm-hmm. you go on runs like that. It's like, okay, well, that's going to make up for a lot of, a lot of mistakes. But then you go ahead and you wind up dropping, you know, six in a row, seven in a row at a critical stretch. It's like, well, we just undid all that progress. And in the end, you know, in the aggregate, it's like, well, they still finished 15 games about 500. But the problem is another team did and they had your number. So, yeah, it's just kind of funny that of the four teams that were could be considered playoff teams, you had two that were 55 and 40 decision made on a tiebreaker and then. 60 and 35 with a decision made on a tiebreaker. It's kind of funny. Yeah. It worked down the East. And yeah. Yeah. And you, what's even better is you look in the West and it's like, if you put Tri City and the Boulders both there, they're both probably in the postseason. Evansville certainly not there. And Schomburg's uh, borderline. So I think they get in because they have one fewer loss because they played one fewer game, which. That's got to chap you if you're in New York, but, you know. Right. So that's happened before, certainly, but even still. So it's just, if you're Tri-City, it's a year where it's, it's very underwhelming. We didn't even really discuss New York and all this because I just feel like they were never, like they were always around, but they were never that team that I think we wanted to do better, that we expected to do better. Perhaps I'm misremembering. I felt like, I, well, I honestly felt like every time I looked at them, I went, oh, like they're really, they're looking like, prime for a playoff spot here. It was like yeah. they just got off of like six of their last nine or something or like against Empire State or like yeah. this one through a stretch of just like Trois Rivier and Empire State and you're like, oh. And then they would play Quebec and be like, man, they're back. Like yeah. it, not to track it was just like that was who they were. They were middle of the road this year. And which Yeah, it's just I don't think they were a big threat. I'm glad this sounds bad, but yeah, this sounds biased. It's not. I'm glad they didn't make playoffs because I don't know that they would have they weren't a playoff caliber a show. And not that Sussex let, like let the world on fire, which we, you know, could talk about coming full circle. We talked about that way long ago. But like, Yeah, we're about to get back yeah, to it. <laughs> but, I would. I don't think that would have gone well for the Boulders, that's for sure. Yeah, and honestly, though, the Boulders the last two years have taken a step forward. Like, full-on, oh, yeah. full-regular TJ Stanton years have certainly produced good results for them. There's mm-hmm. no doubt about Agreed. that. They went from a team that, like I said before, they're – pretty much a 450 winning percentage team. They're going to finish a few games mm-hmm. under 500. They're going to have one good run, but there's going to be a lot of just men's and men's of baseball where it's they're not really a factor. And yeah. it's unfortunate because where they are located, the ballpark they have and the facility they have and the way they run their organization, they should be a competitive team. They should every year be competing for postseason play. And I think they're back in that spot now where they're going to contend every year. I mean, hell, they came down to last day this year. They came down, they made the wild card last the year before. So they're right back in that kind of competitive frame. Now, obviously, 21's a bit different. COVID year and the division setup was weird and different. 20, nothing was played. And then 19 was still Can-Am. So that doesn't really, that's not real. It, yeah. Four teams in a six-team league make a postseason. Mm-hmm. That's not real. So, but still... The point is, they're on the upswing. It's a good thing to see. I'd like to see more out of them. I'd like them to be more consistent, but I think they're on the right track. So they're an interesting team to if watch. You picked, if you pick the Boulders to be a playoff team preseason, I would look at you funny. If you do it next year, I probably will not. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. Like, the weird thing, and the last point I'll say before we go to actual postseason, because we do have matches to talk about and projections and stuff to get to. But yeah, I mean, I'll wrap it on this point, at least for this section, which is. 
you look at both teams based out of New York and you have just complete opposite feelings going into the offseason. Like if mm-hmm. you're in New York, you're like, yeah, you know what? We did pretty much what we did last year. It's a little bit of a plateau, but it was a much more difficult division this year. We took a lot of good steps forward. We lost some very talented pieces. And we're going to lose, you know, a couple of guys that we really don't want to have to lose. But overall, we're in a fairly good spot heading into 24. And if you're three rivers, you're like, or not three. If you're Tri-City, you're like, you know what? We keep trying stuff and it's not working. And it's the same problem. And we don't know how to fix it. And there's no real good solution. It's just such a totally different, you know, kind of feel and mentality going into it that... You know, it's it's interesting to see. Yeah. Um, and, and again, when it comes down to like how to even handle that, it's just, you know, I do think a lot of it's going to have to be season prep and just getting like from day one attacking the season and, and avoiding this sort of slow start and where the trip up mid-year. Like even, you know, maybe it is, you know, thinking hard about, you know, how or and I don't have this answer. If I did, I'd be probably in the league right now. But um <laughs> having the uh, sort of mindset of, you know, how are the good teams turning it around when they start to, if they drop three in a row, how do they keep from dropping six in a row, things like that. Because that's when really you start to see teams get eaten up and all of a sudden one week they're in the playoff picture and one, the next week they're like literally out, like fully out of it. And you're like, oh my God, <laughs> that well, that was quick. Exactly. And honestly, it's a great way to connect us to the playoff point and we'll segue on that, which is trying to get into the postseason and preventing that one or two loss to spiral into a four, five, six game losing streak is a lot like a lot of these teams we saw in the postseason where one or two run innings spiraled for a lot of these teams and became three run innings, four run innings, five run innings. Or you'd give up two, you'd stop bleeding there, uh, then a scoreless inning, then another two runs the inning after. And it goes back to being a good team means stopping your losses, you know, cutting them, saying, all right, the bleeding's going to be here, but we're going to get out of it saying we're going to concede one run, but we're going to get it back. We're not going to give up two. We're not going to try to do anything extra. And just when things go wrong, they don't go really wrong. And Mm -hmm. I think you can kind of see that in the New Jersey Sussex game. We touched on that. We touched on uh, the Evansville series that just got started now. So we'll try to go through New Jersey here real quick. New Jersey Sussex, that is. And then obviously uh, Evansville Schaumburg, we know who comes out in that one. So we'll try to get through those yeah. two rather quickly. Uh, but in the case of New Jersey and Sussex here, they were New Jersey felt in control. We mentioned Tavares earlier, a lights out performance, really quality there. And it kind of leaves you wondering like, okay, was it a matter of Tavares? Was that good that the Sussex hitters just couldn't? And I mean, obviously the last 10 days of the season, they really put everything they had into making the postseason and they clearly needed every ounce to get to where they got but you know was it just they were out of steam and that's all there was to it was it Tavares was that good or was it just there's a legitimate quality of player difference there also I think it's safe to say a poor start out of Tyler Thornton did not help the cause and uh, in the end, I'm not sure about you, but when we were sitting there watching this game, I kind of felt by the fourth or fifth inning that the outcome was already set in stone. Yeah, um, I-, I compared it when I was sitting there with you to like, uh, not to bring him up again, but it-, it had the same energy as sitting there watching that 2021 legend team that Peter had yeah. in the way of like, it felt like they could score whenever they wanted. Now we're watching a Quebec game where they seem to maybe not have that going on, but yeah. Um, but that was the feel that night where like they needed some runs right out of the gate, got them. And then 
you know, they felt a little bit of pressure the one inning, and then they came right back out and they squared up more. And you're like, oh, all right, well, now it's five-run game and Tavares on the mound. So, you know, how many runs do they need? And apparently uh, they did not need five. They could have used much less. So uh, we talked about before uh, how, you know, I don't necessarily blame Sussex. My, I did at first, like, yeah, how do you come up so flat for this game? But, like, I think Tavares is just a really difficult matchup. Like, if you, you can go with a strategy and hope, you know, mess up your strategy and then you're in trouble. So um, that's that's one thing. I, I do think, you know, there's a possibility they did come out a little flat. I, when you see a team come through like that long sort of chase, like, you know, from a week out, they're like, all right, just got to win games, just win ball games, boys. And then, like, they did. And then it became, all right, here's what we need to do to make it in. And the last day they make it in, there can be that moment where you, like, you felt like you made it. Like, you, yeah, you mission accomplished. Like, for, for, I mean, over a month now, the Jackals have been looking at a championship as the finish line, not the playoffs. As for Sussex, I mean, we talked about it. This playoffs weren't even a thing two and a half weeks ago. Like, they were yeah. not uh, it, not involved. And then all of a sudden, it was like, oh, like, if we go all out, we can make we can make the playoffs. Like, that became the goal, and I could see maybe a letdown there. I don't know if it was. I don't know that clubhouse that way, but um, potential. I don't know. Yeah, but it definitely. Yeah, I think, no. yeah. It definitely could go that way, or it goes the way of, you know, you just stay in that mode and you keep hunting. But the fact they had to make up as much ground as they did and in the way they did, I definitely mm-hmm. could see it being the finish line is the playoffs, right? And then it's kind of the dog that catches the car. And it's like, oh, we're here. So I definitely agree with you on that mentality there. I will say on the point of not blaming the miners as much as crediting Tavares. Why, yeah, Tavares did a fantastic job. I mean, complete game. Shut out 109 pitches to get 10 strikeouts and really just kind of mow through them. Very efficient. We went through that earlier. I am going to point out, though, you can't have your leadoff hitter strike out three times. And you can't mm-hmm. have your by far best player in a new strike out twice, go hitless, and not get on base once. That cannot happen. You know, your 3-4 hitter cannot go, really, actually, you go through the whole top part of the lineup your first four batters through combined for one guy on base for the whole game that cannot happen like i get it he's dealing i get it he's doing really well but just think back to watching that game how many times were there was there a ball hit where you said that could be trouble and then a jackal fielder made a very good defensive play or just an above average defensive play to prevent the hit or prevent the runner from getting on base it happened, I mean, yeah, a lot. I okay. would say maybe like nine times. Like almost as many times as there were just strikeouts. I don't think so. I don't remember it being... Really? Like it, I remember it being now two maybe, or three. Uh, maybe I'm thinking, up, especially because at the end of that game, so like when Tavares just was like, all right, no more strikeouts, like he just started putting the ball in play. I think the later innings saw more of it, especially that ninth inning where I think it was three hard hit balls and all of them got snagged like in the air. So... That might be coloring my perspective of it. Those last four innings where I think it maybe one K and like everything else was like contacts and pitching to contact. So perhaps that's it. But what jumped out at me was like the lack of a seeming lack of an adjustment from a team who has seen Tavares before. Yeah. I don't know. Like you come in and you get like basically knocked down for six straight K's. I felt like the approach did not change all that much other than maybe they're swinging all earlier on the count. See, I think I'm thinking back there, and I really don't remember. Like, there's a couple that got hit hard, yeah, but in the ninth, it was just like it was over quick. That's just yeah, like, I think, 
Yeah, I don't know how many pitches that was, but it might have been like four. Yeah, because I remember like looking over and then looking up and going, oh, it's done. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I was like, that's it. <laughs> yeah, because even the last half, I remember right, it was one or two yeah. pitches and it was just like a hard hit pop-up. Mm-hmm. It didn't really do anything. Because it was a quick game, it was just over two hours. Yeah, it was. So, um, like, like, partially efficiency. Obviously, you go nine innings and you're using what, like, uh, about 12 pitches an inning? <laughs> like, right, something like that. So, I mean, like, um, that's pretty damn efficient. Like, yeah, but, like, there really wasn't all that much there where I was like, yeah, that's in danger. Like, there was a couple of good plays there, yeah, but, like, the most memorable thing from the field for me was, oh, oh, Forbes, when he got, you know, a couple where it's like, yeah. okay, yeah, he got his foot stepped on, and uh, they get plinked? Uh, yeah, he got hit by a pitch and yeah. stepped on. Yeah, it's like, that's yeah, rough. Yeah, and then we were saying, like, yeah, does, uh, does PJ want to take him out because this game's in hand? And he may kill somebody if he, uh, if there's another one that's inside. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, and he's playing, by the way. He's playing today, too. So it yeah, was great. Good for him. Right yeah. back at it. Yeah. Tape it up. Yeah, I told you. He's going to keep going. He's got winter ball on the horizon. Can't right? risk that contract. <laughs> but yeah, like I just, I feel like there really wasn't enough fight out of a minor team that really needed to have more fight here. Like, like I said, man, like your two hitter, your five hitter, and your seven hitter. Those are guys that got hits. And of them, those are actually the four guys, the three guys that got on base. Yeah. So, not really doing it. Especially a team that had plenty of fight over the past week. Yeah. So, it's just a very disappointing outcome. But Yeah. And that's where I go back to that theory. Maybe, you know, they crossed the finish line in their minds. And, yeah. You know, not that they didn't want to win, but that, you know they accomplish their goal Just the, the mentality is it goes from that, that mentality of like going all in to do everything you need to do like every single pitch is a war to being like all right let's step up for this at bat and just kind of ride with it i don't know i'm just yeah. spitballing here but yeah right well we'll keep it moving we'll move on to evansville schaumburg now uh a much more competitive game back and forth the whole way quite frankly otter bullpen phenomenal job really really quality there honestly the whole otter team really quality effort. It's just a matter of, uh, in the case of Schaumburg, at least it was a matter of they just came up a little bit short, but a really hard-fought 4-3 final for Evansville. And uh, that was that was the kind of series where I would love to see a, a best of three. Now, granted, Evansville Gateway, as we were talking about a lot earlier on, were going to be a really fun series. Evansville seems to keep pulling out these close games. They have that kind of mentality. So maybe that's enough to drag them through. That's certainly what got Schaumburg to a championship two years ago. Got him back to a final the year prior. Slight regression every year. Not great to see. But even still, uh, in a 50-50 game, you don't win every coin flip. And that's just kind of the way this one went. Yeah. Um, I, I am interested. I feel like... You know, you're going to make mistakes in the playoff series. And we've talked a little bit about, like, is, are those mistakes going to burn you or not? And talking about, like, the base running mistakes and some just, like, messy play. Hey, by the way, that ninth inning was three pitches, just so you know. That Tavares okay. ninth inning. So crazy. Well, it's kind of, um, okay, so I wasn't yeah. wrong. I just, I literally <laughs> like, looked away. I was like, oh. whatever. Yeah. Well, I think he also dropped some below, and that probably encourages some swings. But anyway, right. um, and my thought being, 
when it comes to mistakes, like they're going to happen and it's just how they get handled and uh, by both you and the other team. Uh, and they made mistakes today and they got away with it. And now where my head says, okay, is it like, okay, those were the mistakes and they survived it. Cool. Or is it like they made mistakes and they survived this time? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, did they get the mistakes out of the way or did they get lucky this time? And those mistakes are going to cost them now. Uh, next time they come up. So that's what I'm interested in. And, and honestly, I don't, I don't know that I've seen this Evansville team uh, in crunch time enough to know. <laughs> I, I was genuinely unimpressed by the effort today. I mean, obviously they came up clutch um, when it mattered most. And I think they took a bit, took advantage of some, you know, less than, you know, standard pitching. Um, I don't know. I wasn't, Josh Lucas just did not seem. He wasn't a good outing. So you called it. You called it immediately. Yeah. I mean, you were like three pitches in. I feel like. Well, I was, and you might have yeah. been a little further in because flow sports. It was still but, first at bat. Yeah, it was still first bat. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, the, yeah, I'm not sure what to exactly make of, of that for him. Hopefully, that's just a blip on the radar. But yeah, I, I, for, for you know, I think they got. Yeah. Yeah, I think they they basically had this game. They gave it away, and it happened to come back to them. I don't know. I don't think Gateway is a team that's going to lay down and die. I think Evansville is going to have to earn that second win, and it's going to be interesting to see how they do it. Yeah, I'm going to be very, very interested in seeing what game two is like. That's a bigger tell mm-hmm. for me because, like, this game tells me more about Gateway's inability to, you know, stomp on a throat. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll give you got to give Gateway credit. Uh, we're jumping ahead now because now we're talking Gateway and we're talking Schomburg at the same time. Like, it goes to the same overarching point. I guess we'll, we'll get the uh, other game out of the way, which is just, if you keep surviving, there will reach a point where it's just like, okay, they just, they find ways to win. And that's ultimately what you have to do in the postseason. That's your, yeah, that's your identity. Yeah. yeah. So, like, I, I respect that. But if you keep finding your way into this position, what exactly is the deal here? And like, it's one thing if you're in that position and you're playing Quebec, you're playing New Jersey, I guess even Gateway, because they're all roughly comparable. Even if, you know, especially when we rank teams, there's a reason why we, the one week ranked every playoff team from the East, but none from the West. There's a reason behind right. that. <laughs> You know, it's one thing when you're doing against high-quality opponents. Because then it's like, okay, well, you're just being overmatched, but you're scrappy and you're finding a way. It's another thing when you're doing against Schomburg, right? Where it's like, okay, yeah. you, you guys should be equals. You should not, like, yes, you should be in here because it's equal quality. But, like, at the same time, if you're truly the better team, you'll pull away. So, like, I I really, I, like, I don't want to shade them because, like, they're winning. And it takes something to not get down to fight through the adverse but at the same time like i can't say anything until game two of the current series that's when i'll be able to say okay i know what they're about at that point they got another close game that's three in a row and that tells me what i need to know at least for a postseason sample also they'd be going on to the next to the championship round it's like okay well you just need to find three more of these things so you know i i'm kind of with a mindset that's like Gateway doesn't show me some offensive life in the first like three innings. I might be like, Ooh, this team might be done. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. That's weird, but like, that's kind of where I'm at right now on that. And I'm noticing only one of the gateway runs was earned. So that's concerning to me. That it was a fourth, four to one game on earned runs, which 
maybe I'm trying to make a mountain out of a molehill here, but like you can't count on unearned runs to be a thing consistently. Like that's yeah, I agree. You, that you can't do that. Like maybe because we really haven't spent much time looking at West teams just because the East has been so fascinating. But like maybe Evansville is a team that can't field all that well but even then like i still don't feel good because i mean like honestly some fundamentals were lacking in that evansville team i I, they scare me on that because i mean yeah the pop-up in the eighth that we mentioned where dakota phillips got it i hate the fact he caught that with one hand because he was using the other hand to hold his mask i hate that so much there is a play that was between and i'm going to draw a blank on both the names shortly because i yeah uh it was uh, who was in right? Uh, Jeff Bias. Yes. Okay. Bias comes in. Uh, I think it was Skender just like out there looking lost, like turning back and forth, trying to get a ball over his head. And in like Bias literally comes in and just like reaches up over his head, like running full speed by and just snags out of the air. And I was like, that's a great catch. Like, that's a great catch. Surprising athleticism from Bias, but also like, I mean, more often than not, that's not going to end well for you. Like, that was Someone's little things like that. that like, we're working out. But, yeah. boy, they were on the razor's edge of that going sideways. So, it reminds me of watching um, the Boulders a lot. Not a great fundamental team at times. Yeah. So, we'll see. I don't know. Yeah, um, like, it's just things like that that scare me. It's like, at this point in the year, you should know how your teammates play. You should be, and, like, it's a fundamental thing. It's like... Call the ball. It's either you know where it is and you got it and you're calling it, or you have no idea. Like communicate with the guys in the field here. And like going back to the Phillips thing, because that's the one I saw. There's no reason to not just drop your mask and catch the thing two hands. Like you are in such a dangerous spot with the bases loaded and two away in a one-run game right now, where you have being gifted an opportunity to end this inning and get out without any other damage squeeze the damn ball like I understand it's like such an old head thing but like it's such a situation there's no reason to not do that yeah um no and I I do agree um entering the series the projected starters for Evansville came in with a 1.07 ERA against Gateway this year okay yeah And that's, by the way, that's, remember at Gateways, they put up those numbers like early in the season, which was like unreal. Like, I think the whole team had like a, a OPS above. Yeah, they're like, really strong. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, 1100. Like, they settled in 842. Yo, like, that's a huge drop. Like, I know, like, well, you know, it's easy to fall from an 1100 OPS, but like, no, like, that's, like their offense dropped off noticeably throughout that uh, as that season went on. So yeah, that's I about think it also twenty eight percent drop, roughly. Something like that, yeah. yeah so and again, that is partially just reversion to mean, but like they that means they were below, you know, yeah. for a lot of the year they were below an eight forty OPS. So if you look at Gateway, they had seventeen games in May. So we'll count May. That was legit. Yeah, they slashed. 350, 437, 555, which is silly. That's going to put you right about 1,000 OPS as a team. Um, then from there, the OPS dropped to a 
788 in June, which is, uh, I believe, let me double check that, uh, which is right about league average. Then in July, it was a back up to an 834, which is good. That's above league average. And then in August, it was a 780, which is right at league average again. So they have for large parts in August, they're, they slashed, oh my God, math is so hard, 770, which is right, I mean, really right at league average. So they have been a league average offense for most of the year at this point in time. Um, I, I just think that's worth remembering when we talk about this gateway team because they are, you know, if you look at it in most categories, they're the third best offense in the league. But for large stretches of this year, they have been really about the seventh, sixth or seventh best offense in the league. Uh, let's move on to other series because we have other things to do. And I want to try and wrap this sure. up in about yeah. 10, 15 minutes. So yeah, let's try and get it done in that goal here. But we still have the whole association to get to. And we probably should talk about them because they're the other team, other league True. doing playoff yeah. stuff. And we spend a Oof. lot of time on the frontier. So yeah, damn. Fargo Moorhead Sioux City, uh, probably one of the more competitive games. I will open up by saying the home plate up Neil Turner had a very interesting zone. <laughs> yeah, I did not actually. This is uh, this game. I was one of like two I really didn't get eyes on. So you can feel free to fill in the blanks on that a little bit. So at first I wasn't noticing as much, but I was also. Like, I was bounced between live tweeting it and looking at the other games, but I had that one on, so I was listening to it. And a lot of times you'd hear Jack Michaels, both for and against Fargo, go, and I'll ring him up, and, like, he'll get halfway through, and he strikes him. Oh, no, wait, he called it a ball. And so, like, then I'd look up at it, either waiting for a replay or just don't see the immediate, like, body language from the pitcher. And it always was like, a, really? That that wasn't a strike? Okay. And you notice later on in the game, when you suck in 7, 8, 9, batters were now starting to take offense to a lot of it. They were noticing it a lot. So it was just a very erratic zone. At times, it was kind of hard to judge it because of the way the camera angle was set up for center field. The second base, um, a lot of times, would either block the batter or block mm -hmm. a section of the plate. So maybe I wasn't seeing the whole thing. Maybe I wasn't getting the best angle of it. But from when I was getting that angle, it did not seem to be a great strike zone. So... I'm not going to say that that had a major impact. Both teams had to deal with it. And realistically, only one pitcher really had a problem with it. The major problem being that was Fargo's starter and Kevin McGovern, probably the most reliable pitcher they got, one of the most reliable yeah. pitchers in the league. And when he goes out and gives up, what was it, about eight earned, I believe, that's going to be a rough day at the office. So it's going to be hard to recover from that. More than that, what I kind of gathered was Silviano was the only guy I really felt good about coming out of that game from a Fargo perspective. The bullpen did fine. They did their job. I didn't like how much it had to be used, but, you know, you don't always get that luxury. And in a game that's not totally out of hand yet, you use them. So there's yeah, great good. Silviano was a day off coming. Exactly. Yeah. Even if it's travel day, it's still a day off nonetheless. Silviano provided a lot of offense, returned to the lineup. I think at one point I called it like David Wright-esque. His second at bat, he hits a big home run, real momentum swinger. There was also a situation where uh, there was one player for the Explorers who had a big double but missed first base, so they took the runs off the board, and that ended the inning. 
but they had to play a whole half inning before that got picked up. It was a whole complicated thing. If you go back to the Twitter, I live tweeted the whole thing. It's all down to space. So it was kind of a funky game from that perspective. Uh, the long short, the big takeaway I kind of got here was Sioux City made this game closer than it had to be through a lot of unforced errors. You know, uh, I'm going to pull it up now uh, to get the exact number of unearned runs in there. But there was, like at the end, it was an 8-6 final. But it was an 8-4 game, if that makes sense. Yeah, two run I score. Yeah, two runs score on a passed ball. Uh, Chase Harris misses a ball that he had to run a very long way for. It was kind of no man's land. So he was the one that got there and it kind of hit him in the glove. So, like, I want you to catch that, but also you had to run a country mile to get there, so I'm not sure what to really expect. Runs came off of that. Stuff like that was where Fargo got offense from, and you get runs where you can in a playoff game, but it goes back to the Evansville point, which is I'm not going to count on unearned runs as the basis of my offense. Yeah, of the six runs they got, five of them were unearned. That's not winning games. So... That's kind of my main takeaway from it. And also, McGovern did give up eight runs in four innings. So that's going to put you down pretty easily. I, I will push back slightly on the concern about earned and unearned runs, mainly because I think do you think a lot of errors tend to be arbitrary anyway. Not necessarily these. That's more of a big picture statement. But yeah. um, I've lately found myself trending more towards like projection purposes, like runs against rather than earned runs. Because, you know... I think, you know, a lot of it is like if, if you're having a lot of, let me think it through. So basically a lot of guys are giving up unearned runs, but it's because they are giving up more balls in play and possibly even hard hit balls in play, which, you know, if one in 10 cause an issue and you're giving up, you know, over two games, possibly 10 extra balls in play than someone else, then you're going to have an extra hit slip through or whatever. Um, but I also think like offensively, it can sometimes mean you got lucky, but other times it just means, yeah, I mean, you put the ball in play a lot and you put pressure on the defense. So it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, I, I you saw more of the game than I did. So perhaps, uh, perhaps this was strictly like, no, Ryan, this is a grounder to first that he decided to punt into the crowd, in which case, yeah, obviously. Um, but I would just say, you know, don't entirely, you know, put, put the asterisk on it just because it's under and runs. I mean, what um, I will say but, is just to, give more context to it of those five unearned two of them were the pass ball in the ninth the other three were a direct result of the chase harris not catching that one because that catch wasn't made it extended the inning and that then led to you know the runs that would come through directly it was two outs that kelly was not made you could directly you know make that note so i will say in that particular instance it was there Across the rest of it, yeah, I would say maybe just hard hit balls. But even still, like I'm looking at it and like looking back on it, just what's on the page here, and like I can count like three Red Hawks, four Red Hawks that had a good game. It's like B.J. Lopez, Silviano, perhaps Manny Boscan, and yeah, I, I guess Pena too. He scored two runs and got two hits. Everybody else was very unimpressive. And in nine innings, they struck out 10 times. So not terrible, but also like if every inning you're starting off with one strikeout, essentially, like, you know, not putting yourself in a position to win. 
just not how good offenses operate. Yeah. Yeah. So, and only 12 hits. One walk in that too, by the way. So like, what is it, 13 base runners? Yeah. So that's not really giving yourself a chance at offense. Wait, 12 hits? 12 hits with 13 base runners. Like, uh, yeah, it's one guy an inning. You lost me there. They had 13 total guys on base in the game. 12 of them yeah, came man, by a hit. I, I, I'd argue that's not bad. I mean, it's base hits. It's one guy. They're not advancing anybody. Yeah, and that's where, you know, you got to have some pop. I guess that's kind of what's caught them there. Um, to be fair, nine of the hits came in the first five innings. And a lot of them were as a result of the dropped. Yeah, third innings where all that goes down. So the rundown okay. on that was base hit by Lopez, put out by Oland, then strike out by Thomas, and then Pena hit the little kind of dead duck thing that Chase drops. That moves Lopez to third. So now it's first and third with two away. Silviano comes up, three-run shot, and then strikeout to end the inning. I do think it's interesting they had so many hits, but like so little production out of that. That's a, that's that is something that would pique my interest on uh, reasons for concern. Yeah, I mean they are. I'll give them credit here. It's a lot of two-out hits, so they're staying alive. But it's also a lot of like you're you're back against you're backed up against the wall. So you really yeah. can't do too much with it, right? Because like if you have a base hit with two outs, it's like, okay, well, if we have a 50-50 ball, are you sending him to third where he can make the final out of the inning? Are you going to try to stretch a base hit into a double? Probably not. No, I follow you there. Um, now just, I don't know. Uh, I'm noticing some interesting trends the more I look at the offenses in this. The power doesn't stand out, which is fascinating. Um, especially when you see the Frontier League teams that have done well and the America and the Atlantic League teams have done well. I mean, I'm looking at, I would say Fargo, Milwaukee, Kane County, Sioux City all have what I would sort of quantify as, you know, below average power <laughs> as a lineup. And it's just sort of, uh, it's the first time I'm realizing that. So I'm kind of like looking at it, like, damn. Um, let me see. Yeah. I would say, Definitely. So Fargo, Milwaukee, King County, Sioux City. Wow. No, sorry. That was not very good podcast uh, audio content. But while you're talking about that, you know, the lack of real production for the number of hits from Fargo, uh, you know, it calls into question, well, what are those hits looking like? And the fact that um, they're isolated powers below league average, as is half of the playoff teams in the American Association, shows a pretty significant difference between that league and, you know, the other indie league. And literally, Every other indie league, as far as I can tell, I might have to do a whole thing on that then, because that's it feels like the way to win the American Association is like completely different than every other league. Okay. Uh, any event, uh, we'll move from Fargo to Milwaukee because, like, like I said, we got to keep moving. Milwaukee, Kane County. Good news is this is a blowout, so we really don't have to spend any time on this. Uh, it mm-hmm. was just all Kane County. And I spent the whole night going, remember Fargo and Sioux Falls. It can be worse. And this was worse. Uh, really quite clinical and surgical precision offensively from uh, King County. I mean, they just mm-hmm. beat the hell out of them. What was it, 11-2 of the final? And even yep. then, like, the two runs were more like, hey, look, we're taking a cup of water out of this sinking vessel. Yeah, this was an 8 nothing game Yeah, at, like, like, to start, so... 
So it really wasn't, yeah. Zimmerman did not have a good outing. Rodriguez didn't help any. Really, Paguero was the only reliever that I think really did a great job. Uh, on the flip side, though, King County, honestly, great job by everybody on the pitching side. Really quality work. A lot of just one inning, one inning, one inning, one inning, but they did their job. And even Beardsley, yeah, gave up two runs in five innings, but he did his job. That's all I'm really asking. Do your job. And like I said, the whole offense hummed. Um, Ordonez could have been better. 0 for 5 with two strikeouts. Not a great look, but, you know, team picked you up. All great there. And same thing with Hector Sanchez. Would like to see it a little bit better. Yeah, so kind of funny. Kane manages 12 hits, more base runs, but 12 hits, they get 11 runs out of it. So, funny how that goes. Hey, man. That'll play. Yep. So, any major thoughts on Kane? For the most part, you know, not really. Um, I kind of shared my thoughts on it a little bit on Twitter. Yeah, I don't think Milwaukee's out of it, but boy, was it a tough look. And this is Kane County, I noted before I started is a difficult matchup for Milwaukee. Uh, I was kind of, I was a little bit surprised that they went with King County, honestly. Uh, I, I don't know. I think King County, what was that? It's them or Chicago. You're not taking Cleburne. Yeah, that's right. So that's, that's one of them. We're going to go to Cleburne. Especially because Cleburne's going to be like Chicago, obviously. So yeah, that's right. It was one of those ones where the only option is not a good option, which I found funny because in the other league, there was, it was like, I tweeted that uh, though out. I was like, yeah, it's funny how like you're looking for your best possible matchup in the East Division or in the West Division and the East Division, you're just trying to not go to Cleveland. Um, and, and that's really it because Milwaukee, I, I think Cleveland would have been a better matchup for them, but they just did not want to take that trip and they took King County. And I think it was a gamble. I, King County, the top, King County lost games this year because the they ran to, um, like they're not as complete a roster. I think like the far tail end of their pitching staff isn't as good though, the, but the top end is very good. And then the, like, I don't think I don't very highly of their offense. And, but when you have some guys who can deal and you only need to worry about like the top end pitchers in a playoff series, you can get by with an offense that really isn't lighting the world on fire. And I think Milwaukee is a, a particularly an offense that is susceptible to a, a pitching staff built that way. And, I think they might step into a trap here. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them get cleaned out in this next game. Neither would I. And just the last point before we move on to the next thing. Also keep in mind another strike against the picking Cleburne here. Game one would have been in Milwaukee. They forfeited mm-hmm. that advantage because of the bananas. So they would have had to go to Cleburne and play two games potentially in a hundred plus degree heat. That's a non starter. Bro, I cannot wait to start talking to some of these Milwaukee guys postseason. Yeah. Like I can't wait to hear how this went. Quickly, Kansas City, Sioux Falls. Uh, any major thoughts there? A couple of big innings seemed like it did Sioux Falls in. That's pretty much the general consensus. And KC, they look like the team that's going to win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so far, I mean, I ran, I posted the American Association Championship odds today, like after, um, you know, game one of these series. Yeah. And, I mean, Kansas City, entered with good odds to be two falls in the game itself. It it was very much why Kansas City is so difficult because there were moments where Sioux Falls was able to contain them, but when they couldn't, you know, Kansas City got to them and and beat them badly. And then Sioux Falls just could not get enough, like string together enough hits or, 
walks or whatever they need to do to, to keep guys moving around the base pass and get some runs in. It's, it, it's hard to get Kansas city on the back foot for an extended period of time so that you can get momentum going. Uh, you know, I think they let off the gas a little bit and the end of the regular season, we saw them sort of soften a little, but I think it was definitely so they could load up and be all in every inning. And I think we're seeing what that looks like. Uh, I think Zubal is certainly lesser competition. I think it's good that they're in the playoffs, but I think, yeah. you know, I want them to keep striving towards success here. I think they're on the right track, but this is a tough matchup for them. Uh, as it the sits, plan. Yeah. As it sits, they are the least likely of the four teams that lost game one to find a way to come back. They have a 19, basically a 19% chance to, find their way out of this round that's the worst of any of the eight teams um and, and with that you know Kansas city has the best odds obviously to make it out of the first round but they also have the best odds to make it out of the second round they have 43 percent chance to make the championship and they have a t- basically 24 percent chance to win the championship at this rate which is crazy you think in an 18 tournament they have a one in four shot basically based on the, the probability there so i mean king county's I mean, yeah, sorry, I can't say it's gross. They're a yeah. great team. They're built for that. That is the type of team that saw early on where that, yep, we're going to be in the playoffs. And yeah, we're going to make sure we really fine tune the edges of this roster. So the whole thing is built for this chase. So um, oh, yeah. they could be very fun to watch. It's a, it's an organization led by a guy that very much took last year's loss to Fargo to heart and mm-hmm. said, not again. We're going back to winning. We really like that. And did exactly that. And I feel like the best way of just kind of summing it in lay terms is Kansas City allowed one run, scored nine, and it took them two and a half hours to finish that game. Yeah. There was I mean, 10 runs no scored. Point, took, yeah. Yeah. At no point did I feel like there was There was hope. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Um, not to, you know. Yeah. Not to degrade the Canaries, but I mean, like, you're going yeah, up against the behemoth. Boy, yeah. Have it, fun. It's something else. Yeah. So, yeah, that's how I'm feeling as well. Um, this, you know, they might not win it, but it's going to be a very fun team to watch because I love watching a team that's built specifically for the pursuit they're on, which I think is a fair way to describe this team right now. Absolutely. Uh, last series to really get to, Cleburne, Chicago. Honestly, best of the games in the American Association, back and forth pretty much the whole way. Um, overall, Cleburne kind of outlast them. I know it's stupid, but I kind of chalk it up to the travel and being used to the heat more, uh, which could be a thing. It may also just be Cleburne outlasted them. Dog's pen needs to be better overall. Uh, and realistically, this could just be a case of that was Cleburne at their best and it was clearly Chicago, not at theirs. So, I definitely feel like Chicago can come back in this. That wasn't their best effort, but they need to get it sorted out quickly when they get back to Rosemont. Um, yeah, I agree. Um, I'm just looking. Damn, bro. It was like, I was so hot. <laughs> it was so hot in that game. <laughs> That is so silly. Um, it was like 96 degrees. It was like 6 o'clock at night. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah. Um, that's why I genuinely uh, yeah. mean that he had an effect. Yeah. Oh, it's, I mean, they said on Twitter, like, Cleveland was not, they're not wrong. It's, it's probably the biggest home, you know, like home field advantage in all of, between the bus ride slash plane, you know, uh, and the weather. I think it's the biggest home field advantage in all of, um, you know, indie ball, maybe other than hinge lift, the way that that Jersey team is built right now. But yeah. um, I don't 
No, I, you're, you're right in this. So basically of the teams that won game one, Cleveland has the lowest odds to advance. It's still seeing a 70% chance to make it. Um, they're also the ones who will see the biggest flip in probability if Chicago comes back and wins game two. Um, I think Cleveland's a team that will do their best work when things are going according to plan, if that makes sense. Like they don't have the roster flexibility. They don't have the depth that it takes to Stay on script. go to plan B and plan C. They have to get plan A to work or else they could have a very long day and very long days create, you know, a long tomorrow as well. And that's where I think they could easily get eaten up. So I do think Cleveland, I got to favor them the rest of the way here because obviously they just need to win one more, but I think they're walking a tightrope, man. And I, I, if they make it to the next round, I think they're going to have a, oh, they might have a tough go. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Which just one last stat on them before we wrap it. Uh, mm-hmm. Chicago did not have a single earned run. Uh, Cleburne, all seven of theirs were earned. The only four runs that Cleburne gave up were all unearned. For whatever that is worth. Last two points yeah. to get to to wrap this up, hopefully within five minutes, even though we're terrible at this. Uh, playoff outlook real quick. Atlantic Lake, who's really in? We know it's going to be Gastoni at this point. Obviously, Long Island and High Point are in. Uh, that just leaves the north spot. Who are we looking at there? Is it Lancaster or is it going to be someone else that steals it? Oh, man, that's a tough one. Um, Lancaster's issue is they don't have tiebreakers right now. Southern Maryland owns the tiebreaker on them. They are they enter the back night game, game behind them. Uh, that's going to complicate some things. Uh, York has been charging back. They basically look like a completely dead team a week and a half ago. Yeah. They came flying back up. Um, oh, three right like what, now. We dropped them from like the top four to out of the top ten ranking, and then the next week we put them back in the top four, I think. Yeah. So that's like how aggressive their up and down's been. But, uh, you know, I think they're a team that's pretty driven to, they, they came so close to winning the first half. I could see them really finding a way to follow through, uh, especially if they're starting to hit the rhythm. Uh, again, new manager, as that continues to play out, maybe oh, yeah, they're settling in there. Um, Southern Maryland did gain a half game on Lancaster tonight. So they are now just a half game back. W5 um, too. W5. Yeah, man. They're getting um, a stride. Daryl Thompson yeah, back, too. He looks back to himself. Yeah, I, I am excited about the North Division race because, um, first of all, Gastonia tonight set the it. new league record for home runs. So shout out to Gastonia yeah, for that. Good for them. 206 now. Um, but I think the South is kind of sealed away. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah. Either way. With High Point or Gastonia close that out, uh, I think Gastonia is far enough ahead where they're going to make it in uh, on the wild card. Like either they are going to win the division or High Point's going to win the division opening the wild card for Gastonia because I think they clinched it. Um, did they clinch today? They did clinch today with York losing. So yeah, they have the wild card now. So that's not interesting. The North though is a whole different can of worms. Southern Maryland a half game behind Lancaster. Southern Maryland or Southern Maryland is absolutely becoming the team that they are used to being very familiar um good back end of the bullpen good starting rotation uh getting timely hitting uh, lancaster is that team that we expect to see as well they're a second half team they're pushing york has sort of regained their form from earlier in the season so basically all these teams that contend right now are like exactly who they're built to be at the same time so i i'm so excited about these last like nine games we have left in the uh, Langley north because they're gonna be a hell of a lot of fun 
All right, cool. We'll talk more about it next week when we have the time to do yes, it. Um, last uh, playoff outlook point, Pioneer League. That's pretty much set. We know the vibes clinched. We know Missoula's in. We know Ogden's in, even though they look like garbage right now. Uh, that leaves <laughs> one spot left, which could either be Billings spot or it could be Glacier's spot, essentially. Uh, the half systems got that all screwed up. Normally, I'd say, let's take 10 minutes and talk about it, but there's too much time to take on it. Uh, give me 30 seconds on why the two-half system sucks and why it encourages Glacier right now to lay down and die to make the playoffs. Yeah, so if you're unfamiliar with the situation, uh, two-half system, just like in the Atlantic League and the Pioneer League, uh, if you win your, if you win either half for your division, the first half or the second half, you get a playoff spot. If the same team wins the division twice, then it goes to a wild card team, which is the team in either division with the best overall record who has not obviously already won a division and clinched the playoff spot. Um, in the Pioneer League, that is far and away the wild card winner is Glacier. They've already clinched it, they clinched it a while ago. However, Glacier is in a spot where they cannot win the division, they're too far back. Billings is leading the division by entering today a half game over Missoula. Mm-hmm. Um, so the situation that presents itself is Glacier is in if there is a wild card team. Um, the wild card already Rocky Mountains clinched in the south, so there will not be a wild card from there. So what Glacier needs is Missoula to win the second half just like they won the first half because if Billings wins, it eliminates the wild card and knocks Glacier out. Glacier needs Missoula to win and is playing Missoula to end the season here. That is why it's an issue because now, because they basically want a different, they want their opponent to win the division in order to create a wild card spot for them. Now they're incentivized to lose and it's just not great. Look, I don't know that that's how they're going about things. Like, let's be honest, like, you guys still need their numbers, right? So you're yeah. asking guys to take a hit if that's what you're doing. So I don't think that, but like if this team go, if they go down five to one, it's unlikely they're going to push hard. That said, tonight they entered the ninth inning down eight to three and lost eight to six. Glacier, <laughs> guys, what? Um, like as a so unit, boys, a, that's not what we want right now. You know, I mean, literally the win, the, the tying run was at the, the winning run was at the plate. <laughs> guys. What are we doing? Boys, um, boys, we're losing playoff <laughs> revenue. Yeah. Uh, yeah you boys hey, ain't seeing it, needs, but hey. Daddy needs the extra home game. Um, this is a new franchise, yeah, boys. We need to get off the ground. Yeah, but with that, by the way, Missoula has now taken that half game lead back in the North Division. So we see, you know, the gross incentives. And let's look. Okay, so there's that. But now if you're Billings, how do you feel? Sure, Billings has to handle their business, which they did not against one of Colorado tonight. But like if you're Billings, you're like, so we're competing with a team that is actively like you're competing with Missoula to get in the playoffs, while Missoula plays a team that is incentivized to lose. Like, yeah. uh you're playing yeah, the dude that's counting cards. Bad. Yeah, it's bad. So again, I mean it seems as if Glacier is working hard to win. Kudos to them for that. Um yeah, I, I this was to have system is bad, essentially. Yeah. Thank you for coming to my set talk. Yeah. Uh I'll back it and just go, it's I hate the two half system. Complained about it before, won't do it again, but it just it's situations like this, however rare they may be, it's just I hate things that go against the spirit of competitiveness, 
especially in independent ball where that's part of the draw is we're trying to win. And so when you put them in a situation where it's like, look, you could play more games if you just lose like two or three of these babies. You know, yeah. it it spits in the face of competitiveness. And obviously, like, I don't know if a dude that is, you know, I don't think it's that much of an exaggeration to say fighting for their baseball life is going to lay down and die. But like still to have a system that incentivizes you to do that. It sucks. It shouldn't be. You know, it's one thing if it happens by mistake. It's another thing when it happens like, yeah, this is a very real part of the design. It just, I don't, I don't like that at all. Yeah, and we talked a lot about, you know, how you're, how Indie Ball is viewed from the outside, but also, like, with your devoted fans, the ones who do care and that they do show up to, like, the play, like, for playoff races and they want you to, like, they're invested in the team yeah. and the success of the team. It also, you know, quirkiness is part of what makes Indie Ball great, but this is something that, like, looks at their, like, the investment they make in time and energy into, you know, the team and kind of makes, you know, that's not, when you feel like, like, I would look at that and be like, why do they, it feels dumb. Like, it feels dumb they invest the time and energy. feels like they're not taking this seriously, like, as a league. And as it a feels product. Mickey like, Mouse. Yeah, and you're like more, I, you know, look, maybe there's not a lot of options in some of these markets out there, but like, I would be, le- I would be more likely to be like, hey, I'm not really, I'm a little turned off by that now. Yeah. All it takes is making somebody feel dumb once. People don't like that. Yeah, that are making it feel like, what's the point in all this? If it's pointless, mm-hmm. what am I doing here? Um, that said, let's get to the props and predictions real quick and then get out of here. Uh, three predictions. Evansville wins the West. I wrote that down way before we saw that adventure in the 8th and ninth. So I don't love my own prediction there anymore, but it's too late for me to figure out a new one. So we're grunting with that. I'm thinking we have all sweeps in the frontier. Man, I really wish I didn't write this down before that Evansville game. Um, and uh, I have the vibes are playing for a championship next week. I feel like the vibes are going to get through Ogden fairly easily. Um, oh, I think they might murk Ogden. Yeah, dude, I, that feels like a bad vibe right there. Well, it's a good vibe if you're the vibes, but you know what I mean. Yeah, the um, vibes get knocked out. Bad yeah. vibes to the title of the episode, though. Oh yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, uh, all right. So uh, first of all, I think, yeah, vibes. Uh, uh yeah, I'm vibes definitely there with that one. They're a lock. Um, that's lock them I, in. Yeah. Um, what was the other one? Evansville. Evansville wins the West. So they go ahead. They beat the uh, gateway in their series. And then, uh, essentially Quebec and, uh, the other series are both done via sweeps. So whoever wins game one wins game two. Mm-hmm. That one's got um, here. I, I will admit. Yeah, I think, I mean, I got to, just the safe money says Evansville. I got to go Evansville. I didn't see anything that really, they're pitching against Gateway. We can talk about them being shaky and feel all we want or whatever, but like they're pitching against Gateway is just stellar. It's a, it seems to be a matchup issue for Gateway. So until they prove they can hit their starters, then I'm going to go Evansville. Hmm. Alright, uh, the two props here. Uh, the Jackals hit six and a half home runs over this playoff run. Mm. So I'll include the wild card, divisional series, and if applicable, the championship series. Um, I believe that's a max of nine games. At most, a minimum of three games. Yeah, I think if they... Hmm. 
I think they have one or two already. I think one right now. Yeah, what they hit one when we were there, right? Yeah, right after we were saying like, yeah, what Keon Barnum, you know, and then he just yeah. sent one into the night sky. Oh my god, that's right. Um, the timing on that was phenomenal. No, I think it was was it Nelson? No, was it Keon? Might yeah, it was Keon, Keon because we were talking. What about What do I know? Yeah. Um, damn, uh, that's a tough one. I think because if they get through the next round, I feel good about it. Because hmm. they're good for a home running I mean, game. That's the thing. Yeah, Quebec doesn't give up a ton. That's the other thing. Yeah. Um, I. But dude, gets that's so tough. I don't know. I just I know we just need to make a pick so we can move on. Um, I got. Keep in mind, say, if they get to the final two, look at what pitching staffs they have. Right. They they could really take advantage, especially if we get the garbage time in the game. Hmm. I don't like the question is do they take two of three first go back which is the real tough one here I think they might I feel weird for some reason I feel like I believe in them more after this rain delay <laughs> I don't push me on it I just that's the way I'm thinking um I would I'm gonna say yes they get it done hell yeah no one always bet on homers okay so taking the over all right yeah. uh second and final one. Uh, there will be two and a half extra inning games before the next time we record. That's across all the playoffs. We're just saying in playoffs. Next time we record. Yeah. Just in the playoffs. So. Yeah. Mm. so that's between Pioneer, Frontier, and American Association. Two and a half. So two and a half. You no, need three. I, don't th- I don't think we see three or more. I think we see, yeah, two or less. Okay. To a fewer. All right. For the record, I'm taking the under on both of them. So. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I see. The problem is, I believe in Quebec more. So. I've, uh, I do too. I'm going against. But every time I look back, I, I like Jersey more. I don't know why. They just grow on my man. Because you know what I do? I, I go, yeah, Quebec. And then I look at that lineup. I go, <laughs> see, but the thing is, I look at Quebec and I go, they just have such a track record of winning. They just. They always yeah. win. That's the problem. They find a way. They can win close games. I, they can win blowouts. They can win pitching games. They can win batting games. They can win in so many different ways. That's like, yeah. Like I understand the Jacks have gotten better pitching wise throughout the year, and they've looked pretty good. But like, I just don't. I think if push comes to shove, and they have to win two games out of three that are pitchers' duels, I don't think they can do that. Well, yeah, and we have to keep in mind now they're into their bullpen in the fifth inning here. Yeah. And also, and keep they do mind, not have that kind of bullpen. That's just not what they're built for. Um, and they play the next day and possibly the day after that. Yeah, with a bus ride. Yeah. yeah. So that's stretching so thin. That is, you know, actually now I'm feeling less confident. So, <laughs> oh, well, we're in it now. Yeah. Life's right. a nightmare. Yeah, right. So that's all we got there. Uh, next week, we're going to do a fancy little thing. Uh, that we're going to do this week. Ran out of time for it. We'll get into it next week. Classic. Yep. Uh, this was long even for our standards. Not great. Uh, so, Sorry. Yeah. It is what no it baseball, is. No baseball, man. Got a lot to talk about. Exactly. Like, there was like... A got into lot. the actual games, man. If you want us to talk ball, like, That's talk ball. Gonna, that's the thing. Like, there was two hours of just talking ball in this. And like an hour of solid news. Sorry for partying. Yeah. It was just like a really long week. So, there's that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
what indie ball nation and everything right yeah indie ball nation all right cool there you go indie ball report on most indie ball pod on the one other thing i will leave off with one thing before the usual sign off to bring us full circle in the zach bryan news i saw one tweet that is phenomenal which is what if zach bryan was the something in the orange all along What if the something in the orange was the friends we made along the way? It very well could have been. <laughs> it could have been. And on that note, don't forget to play ball. <laughs>